here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hey, this is the king of the mountain, Jeff Jarrett, the president and founder of Global Force Wrestling, and you're listening to Shake Them Ropes. Robin McCarron. Why not bring Virgil back? He's in the game. Cross-promotion. Bring him back. Jeff Hawkins. We have more stories for Virgil than we have half of our mid-card. You're listening to Shake Them Ropes with Rob McCarron and Jeff Hawkins. I don't know, Jeff. I don't know with your explanation how they can't bring him back at this point. This year is coming up, Virgil. He needs the money. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Shake Them Ropes. It is episode 93. It is a special edition here coming live at PW Ponderings on Twitter on the PW Ponderings live stream in support of Rain. Rob McCarron here, Jeff Hawkins, and we are joined by Jerome Cusan of PW Ponderings uh, on this day to, to talk a little pro wrestling. We're going to talk about the NXT uh, news that came out this week. We're going to talk about the Beast in the East special from WWE Network that happened on Saturday morning and get into some wrestling road trips and our history uh, traveling to wrestling events. But first I want to thank Jerome Cusan for having us a part of this special and having us on today and joining us today. Jerome, how are you? I am doing very well. This is our number five. So uh, the, uh, the, the craziness and the insanity is only just starting to kick in, but uh, I am very happy to be here and uh, thank you, Rob. And thank you, Jeff. I am, I'm looking forward. Somebody was actually mentioning that they wanted Jeff and I on a podcast together without knowing that we would, in fact, be on a podcast together. So I think it's fate that Jeff and I are here tonight. It is fate. Jeff Hawkins, how are you today on this holiday weekend? Buy the shirt. (laughs) I'm doing well. Let's get going. I'm glad you're doing well. Well, we all watched uh, the Beast in the East special. We previewed it last week, Jeff on our show, Shake Them Ropes, which you can find at Voices Wrestling on Twitter, at Shake Them Ropes on Twitter. Uh, We talked about the Beast in the East. Um, Largely in part, I figured it was the, uh, I mean, really it was the show that we figured we would be getting. It was a fun, easy two hours to watch. What were your overall thoughts coming out of uh, Beast in the East? Uh, Overall, very enjoyable show. Um, My complaints are mostly nitpicky, if I have any. Uh, But... I'll tell you one thing, the atmosphere of Japan really added to that Owens-Balor match more than I even expected. And um, just a magnificent match all the way around. I think we all knew it was going to be a great match. And I think uh, Jericho and Neville over-delivered as well. Yeah, we had some uh, good fun matches. Your overall thoughts, Jerome, on this uh, special uh, coming off of a, a weekend, really, which was dominated on the internet landscape by some New Japan Pro Wrestling, but WWE... I mean, a lot, the first ever live show uh, shown live in the United States from Japan. They had taped a Raw there before. They had uh, done many events in Japan. But this is the first ever time they've gone live at 5.30 in the morning on the East, 4.30 your time where you're at. Uh, what were your overall thoughts on this show, the presentation, everything that came about? The one thing I've got to say is it reminded me a lot of the NXT specials in that you got two really, really good matches 
you know, one or two other notable happenings, and then you maybe got a clunker or two. But overall, this was a very easy two hours to watch, like Jeff Hawkins said. I mean, I want to really want to dive into this Jericho Neville match because I actually I, I I'm one of the people that liked it more than Finn Balor and Kevin Owens. And don't get me wrong, Finn Balor versus Kevin Owens was a spectacular match and exactly what I was expecting. Overall, this was just, it was a fun show. I I don't know, I, some people were down on it. I don't know what they were expecting. Like, this was basically a televised house show. And I think the main event being really, really boring is the biggest knock that I have against this. But I think you got a really, really good opener. You got Brock Lesnar killing someone. And you got a notable title change. So as far as I'm concerned, that is very successful, uh, especially being on the WWE Network. I mean, I, I consider this a big success for them. Absolutely. Uh, Ryo Goku Sumo Hall, Tokyo, Japan, first ever uh, time, as we mentioned, that they had gone live on the WWE Network. You had some different camera work going on. You had some different uh, selections when it came to camera cuts and whatnot, because they were partnered with J Sports. I mean, WWE, you know, Kevin Dunn wasn't in charge of the production here. It wasn't the usual WWE television production. They didn't bring a camera crew and all that stuff to Japan. It was a house show that was transmitted back by J Sports. Uh, so you added the interesting difference in how this came about. But let's go ahead and start. The first match on the televised special was Chris Jericho versus Neville. Uh, Chris Jericho, he had requests when he came back for this tour. He wanted to work Finn Balor. He wanted to work Neville. So the Neville match came here. The Finn Balor match came on the house show that was untelevised on the uh, third. Uh, so we got Neville here. And you know what? He wasn't coming back to have basic matches with these two guys. He was coming back to have matches that he could remember when he looks back on his career. And as you said, Jerome, this match with Neville was all of that. Uh, Jeff, your thoughts on Neville versus Jericho, which I thought was a pay-per-view caliber match. Uh, starting with the good, uh, I loved this version of Chris Jericho in this match. It was more of him being... The personality, the veteran, uh, slowed down match for him. It wasn't as much about the dance as it was about the two personalities within the match and Jericho playing a very subtle heel in this as well. And in addition to kind of playing up the crowd as being, you know, he kind of towed the line between face and heel with the crowd at times. You know, he gave them their greatest hits in terms of the things that they remember about WWE Jericho, but he showed a little bit more about, you know, just kind of the calling it live in the ring aspect in terms of personality and, you know, uh, egging on the crowd to cheer him at times and things like that. And I really, really enjoyed that part. My only drawback from this match was I thought the wrong guy won. I don't think Jericho should have won this match at all. Um, mostly cause he doesn't need the win. And, you know, a veteran like this should be in the position kind of, you know, not to the extent that Cena is, but a little bit more of, you know, the young guys go over the these veterans that the people love so that then that love goes over to the guys that they put over. That's my only drawback from this. Uh, but overall, I mean, I, this is the best I've seen Jericho in the last three comebacks, I think, what you, in, in, terms of, in terms of personality. I mean, not in terms of athleticism or in terms of, you know, doing a lot in the match, but in terms of just really instead of sticking to a script kind of going, okay, what does the crowd want? And I'm going to react to it. What do you think Jerome about that point that uh, Chris Jericho did end up getting the win here? I mean, he went for, he went for the walls of Jericho a couple of times, couldn't get the win. 
So he finally put Neville away with the lion tamer, and Michael Cole and Byron Saxton called it as much. Uh, what do you think about that aspect, that Chris Jericho was the one to get the win here? I personally agree with Jeff. I probably would have had Neville win. But the way that Jericho won really didn't bother me. The fact that you sort of start, saw, you saw Chris Jericho sort of be WWE Jericho at the beginning of this match. You know, he didn't look like he was in the best of shape. And, you know, he was sort of the grumpy old veteran for the first bit. But just like, and this is something that I, I really like about watching a, a Jushin Liger or Too Cold Scorpio match. You see these two guys, or you see these guys and they're grumpy old men. And then they start hitting their spots. And they really build to the spots that you know them for so well. And that's what Jericho did. I mean, he went through all of his greatest hits, but he did it in such a way that he was building to it and uh, maybe getting a little bit, a uh, little bit cocky at times with the with the one foot on the chest. So this was uh, this was a fun, fun match. And you know, I think if I say that Jericho carried it, the implication would be that Neville's not really good. But Neville played his role to perfection. Jericho winning with the Lion Tamer was was really, really fun. And uh, yeah, this match. I mean, what what else can you say about it? It was spectacular. A great way. Uh, to open the show, and these are these are two guys that I would love to see have a rematch. Unfortunately, we're probably not going to give it get it given the Jericho status. But if there is a way where we could get Chris Jericho to work these NXT Takeover specials and work these uh, these guys maybe who are just about to go to WWE or who are the former indie guys, that is what I would love to see because. You know that Jericho, if he's coming back to wrestle some of these younger guys, you know that he's going to be motivated, and he's not just going to put in, you know, he's not going to half-ass things, so to speak. Um, but yeah, this this was really, really good. And like I said, I, I, I think I enjoyed this more than Owens and Balor, and maybe that's because my expectations were a bit low. Like, I wasn't expecting, like, a, a dud, but I wasn't expecting a damn near four-star match. So... We got that. This was great. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the uh, Jericho-Neville match a lot. And you're probably right. We're probably not going to get uh, this match again. And if it does happen again, it's going to happen on a house show, a random house show somewhere where it won't be on TV anywhere. Um, I, I, the fact that Chris Jericho won doesn't bother me really at all because Neville is kind of in this role. And it's not the worst role because I don't ever, I don't really ever see Neville going to the top of the WWE championship division. Um, he's in this role now where he's out there to have good matches. He's going to put his high flying on display and whether he wins or loses doesn't really hurt him with the crowds. I mean, him losing this match on a show where, you know, few relatively, uh, will see it. Uh, I don't think hurts his standing that when Neville comes out, the fans are going to get excited for him because you know what Neville's going to come out and he's going to fly and we're going to have fun watching it. Whether he wins or loses doesn't really matter so much right now. Um, I compare it with when you have new guys in a promotion that are, you know, on the rise, they lose a lot early. And then you have the story where they keep getting better and better and they get that one big win. And it goes on from there. I wasn't that bothered that Chris Jericho won the match because it was a fun match. It was the opener of a special, the beast in the East. Um, what we didn't quite get in the next match was the same level of fun. Tamina page and Nikki Bella for the divas championship. Uh, Naomi had been advertised for this. She decided, to, or they decided to keep her, and have her on SmackDown and not have her go on this tour. So Tamina took her place in this triple threat match, uh, a match that was pretty basic for a, this was a house show. 
uh, Divas three-way. And you had a a win out of nowhere, really, with Nikki Bella pinning Tamina. Um, and Nikki Bella keeps her championship. What I thought was most interesting about this is what we continue to find most interesting with Nikki Bella is Michael Cole on commentary continue to push us the idea that Nikki Bella is going for 300 days. That is the end goal. She's trying to beat AJ Lee's record reign as the longest Divas champion. That's really what we have to look for uh, here as we see Nikki Bella retain this title for the next three months. Uh, Jerome, your thoughts on the Divas three-way? Oh, sure, you come to me first on the Divas match. I am. I want some hot poppy takes. <laughs> some hot, hot takes. Uh, Tamina is not very good and probably should not be in the ring. Paige and Nikki Bella probably would have had a good match if not for the fact that there was a third person. And the fact that the third person was Tamina certainly did not help. This was definitely a case of nothing special, just getting going through the motions pretty much. But you know what? I think this shows that sometimes less is more. And if the house show style almost seems to suit Paige more than when she tries to do a say, reverse her and Kenrana and almost kills herself. So I actually think these two work, would work pretty well if they maybe toned it down a little bit. So that's that's what I took away from this. But there really isn't much to say because this this is not the match that people were looking forward to when they were uh, hyping up the uh, Beast in the East card. Jeff, I, we have this Divas Championship three-way, and it's on the show because it's the women's match on the show. It's for the Divas Championship. It is a title match. Uh, were you disappointed going in when we knew some of the other matches on the card, like Diego versus Cesaro? And were you disappointed a bit that we didn't end up getting the New Day tag team match or Cesaro versus Diego on the actual show? And instead, we got the Divas Championship three-way, and uh, we got a 25-minute main event. Not really. I really wasn't, because I thought those would be filler. Um, the only takeaway I had is a question, and it's not really an important question. Are referees screwing up in Tamina matches as a part of a storyline or because Tamina just isn't uh, remembering what she's supposed to do. That's my question. Um, I, <laughs> you know, sometimes you get the referees usually in the women's matches, the referees who are doing these matches are the newer ones. Now mm-hmm. there aren't too many new referees per se in WWE. Now everyone's been there for a good amount of time. Uh, I mean, he's still Drake younger is the newest referee they have. And he's now been there for about a year. Um, you have, uh, I don't know what his gimmick name is, but you have Ryan Tran. Brian Wynn is the referee for this uh, for this match here. And, you know, I mean, it's one of those but things where it could you be... You understand a, what I'm saying. No, I get it, because it's happened a couple of... second Tamina match I get in a it. row where... Yeah. It's happened a couple of times. It happens with Tamina. I don't think it's a storyline. Um, you know, I think it's just a something that goes wrong because it doesn't play into the match at all. Like, it's a spot where you could see this should have happened in the match, and it ends up going a little awry. I think it's a variety of things. You had a three-way in there. Probably didn't have a lot of conversation about it going into the match. And the referee just, you know, was mistimed or didn't know where it was supposed to be. Or thought he was in the right place. And Tamina just changes directions out of nowhere. Because Tamina does do that. Tamina looks like someone who goes into the ring. And then she remembers, oh, I'm supposed to do this. Even though she's already started to do something else. And it's like, okay, change of pace really quick here. Um, I don't think it's a storyline direction. But if it happens again on Raw this week. There we go. We're going to have the storyline direction where referees are constantly getting in Tamina's way. What is she going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brock Lesnar, Kofi Kingston. Uh, Brock Lesnar was the advertised main event, really, of this entire show. I mean, on WWE TV, the reason you would want to watch the show was that Brock Lesnar was appearing. 
They never announced who his opponent would be on TV. It was just about, okay, if you watch the special, you're getting a Brock Lesnar match. And we did. We got a two and a half minute squash, Brock Lesnar killing Kofi Kingston, as Brock Lesnar should do. And the Japanese crowd got to see Brock Lesnar for what might be the last time they ever see him live in a pro wrestling ring. Uh, Two and a half minute squash. I thought this was exactly what everyone assumed the Brock Lesnar Kofi Kingston match would be. But you know what? It was kind of special seeing Brock Lesnar on the WWE show in Japan and with a whole different feel on a Saturday morning, no less. And now everyone who didn't go watch this show live can anytime during this week or anytime in the future, maybe five years from now, if the WWE network is still around and still going the way it is, you want to see some special Brock Lesnar matches. Well, how about that one time on July 4th where Brock dominated Kofi Kingston uh, for two and a half minutes in Japan, no less. Um, it, It was fun. But Brock Lesnar, of course, gets the win. And then after the match, he beats up the entire New Day. Uh, thoughts on Brock and Kofi, Jeff Hawkins. Uh, uh, Kofi was fine as the heel uh, looking into the lion's mouth. Um, my one aesthetic choice is since you showed the video of Brock's knee getting destroyed, when Kofi hits him in the knee, should have sold that a little bit as a twinge and then just gotten really angry and suplexed him. But other than that, it's what we were expecting, and we were expecting the New Day to get killed as well. Um, yeah. And Brock is the road warriors wrapped into one good on him. He is. He is. He's the dominating force. Um, Jerome, the match that everyone had come to watch, had everyone come to see if you were not a mainstream WWE only fan and you were going in for Brock Lesnar, really the one match of significance on this show was the NXT championship, Kevin Owens and Finn Balor. Uh, what were your thoughts kind of going into this match? Did it play out as you expected? And your thoughts on the new NXT champion, Finn Balor? I mean, Finn Balor, absolutely. If you watch the three-part special that they did on NXT and you weren't totally convinced that Finn Balor was going to be the NXT champion, then you're you're almost a fool. That's That's absolutely what was going to happen, and it should. I mean... You don't you don't have those three videos. You don't talk about Finn Balor, not just as a wrestler, but as a person. That that piece was dedicated to making you want to believe in Finn Balor, to make you believe that this is a guy that you would want to cheer for. It's probably one of the best things that WWE has done for a wrestler in a very long time, as far as building up somebody's personality, building him up as someone that the fans would want to cheer for. And admittedly, Finn Balor is not the most charismatic guy at times on promos, but this is a guy who can go in the ring. He's got a spectacular entrance. And now with that, with that special, with that NXT, with that three part special, you can make an argument that this is a guy that fans would want to cheer for who wouldn't want to cheer for a guy who has sort of gone up by his bootstraps, started off in Europe, went to Japan is in the WWE, you know, Becky Lynch is, you know, he's almost like an older, older brother to Becky Lynch. And, you know, it also helps get her over as well. So uh, this this was a really good match. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time talking about Finn Balor, but I should because he's the new champion. But Kevin Owens, you know, this is a guy who did he, he doesn't really need to put in this level of effort. And he did because he's a prideful individual. He's definitely one of my favorite guys when he was Kevin Steen on the independent scene. He was probably one of my favorite guys. And now he's one of my favorites in WWE. This guy just has an aura about him that so other so so few other people in this company have. And this was a really good match. And it's definitely something that is worth watching. And I think for WWE fans, 
if you want to see the best of Finn Balor, you're going to see it in this match. And uh, these two guys, it was just very well built. The commentary, overall in the night, the commentary was very much on track. Byron, Stacks, Byron Saxton is still useless, but Michael Cole was actually very good and uh, did a very good job, I think, uh, staying on track and with no Vincent Mann yelling in his ear. Michael Cole was a really competent announcer. So I think everything, when you put it all together, this was a tremendous, tremendous contest. The fact that Finn Balor won in Tokyo after the the videos that played sort of talked about his background in Japan, it only made sense. You know, maybe it wasn't a homecoming, like if he didn't win it in Ireland, but he did win it in the place where he basically became Prince Devitt slash Finn Balor, sort of that that personality. So yeah, this was I don't want to say a match of the year contender, but it was sort of just outside of that realm. I don't want to I don't want to bash the match because it was really good, but it it's definitely not going to be up there. But this is something people should definitely go out of out of their way to see this, especially if you if you're a mainstream WWE fan who has not seen a lot of Finn Balor. This is definitely a match that you want to. It was one of two really good matches on an easy to watch two hour show that's going to be consumed almost more on demand than it would, uh, than it was live. Uh, but Jeff, your thoughts on the commentary, because I agree with uh, Jerome here that, you know, Michael Cole, that's the best Michael Cole you're going to get in WWE was a perfect. No, but that's the best version of Michael Cole that you can get in WWE. You know, when Vince McMahon is asleep and he's not yelling in his ear, when he's not being told to get over ridiculous storylines, when he's not being told to cheer the heels beyond all costs, uh, Byron, I thought was one of his better performances too. Uh, which just goes to show that sometimes a two-man booth is going to be better than three, just so you don't have voices talking over each other. Uh, but as far as commentary goes, uh, which was done from Stamford, they were not there live at the show. Uh, it was one of the better performances of WWE commentary on the WWE event. I have a theory about the commentary, and you, probably, you both are probably going to think I'm way, way off here. But I agree it was strong, but I think it was strong for a reason. I think the banter between... Cole and Saxton setting up the matches was scripted down to the word and they were reading it. And then Cole was giving, given free reign to call the match um, as he saw fit. Yeah. And I'm sure he was, and he was pretty much on his own because Saxton really never interjected all that much during the matches. If you notice it. I'm, I'm sure there were like notes that he had during the matches and you can tell when Michael Cole had to get one of his notes inside there. But as far as, you know, watching and calling the match. Absolutely. Had a little bit more free reign. And he was calling, you know, they were calling the lion tamer move and they were talking about some of the history of, of Finn Balor in Japan and, and Neville and dragon gate. And they were getting out some of these different notes. Um, but you're right. The pre-match banter, everything that was not in ring wrestling related, they probably had, uh, you know, if not detailed notes, probably entire well, paragraphs that they had. Well, to here's, say. here's here's what I noticed. I mean, as soon as Cole would ask Byron a question, Byron wouldn't even take that beat to think about. It. He had the answer right there and was just re- he didn't take the beat. So I think it yeah. was scripted, but that's it, just me. It goes right away. Um, and then we did have our main event. And I thought I think there's been a lot of talk in some of the you know things I've seen on Twitter and some of the the different reviews that have come out for the show uh, the talk has been about how bad the main event was. And the main event was John Cena and Dolph Ziggler against Wade Barrett and Kane. And, you know, I watched this match before I looked at any, I didn't watch it necessarily live Saturday morning, but I did watch the show on Saturday. I watched it before I saw anyone else's thoughts on the show. I wanted to come in with a clean slate on this one. And when I stopped watching the main event and the main event uh, ending the show there, I thought, you know, that was pretty good. That's the type of main event you're going to see at a WWE house show, which in effect this was. 
uh, that it was it was fine for what it was. I wasn't expecting anything earth shattering. You're not expecting any storylines from it. It was a somewhat odd pairing just because why is Wade Barrett in this match at all? Kane has other programs going on, but that's what house shows are. Sometimes not everyone matches up. Um, I thought it was pretty good. And then I'm seeing a lot of negativity about it. And I don't know how you two think of this show, but Jerome, the main event, which went over 20 minutes, John Cena, Dolph Ziggler, Wade Barrett and Kane, not necessarily the pairing you expect to go that long and probably doesn't need to be that long. Um, but were you a little bit, I mean, how did you come across of this main event? And am I just super highly positive on it? And I don't have a right to be Jerome. We'll start with you, Rob. I, th- I think you're being a little positive on it because I thought this main event was pretty boring. It wasn't bad. What, what, well, let me, let me stop you. Right. Was it boring because they were doing things over and over for 25 minutes and they didn't really have a 25 minute match? Or was it boring just because Kane, when he's in there is a little bit slower and maybe I'm just expecting him to be slower going in. So I don't think it's that bad. If this match was 12 minutes, it would have been fine. I think if, but it was 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. I have trouble watching a 25 minute WWE match. Anyway, this, this was a chore for me to watch. And the fact that there was like a double, I mean, both Ziggler and Cena, there was a heat segment on both of them. That, that really just killed it for me. It was pretty paint by the numbers. Kane, I, I can't stand. And also I can't stand watching Kane. Wrestle, so that, that there's an immediate bias towards that. I don't know if, if this was a house show main event that went 12 minutes. I don't think I would have been as hard on it as I was, but if you're going to put something on the network, especially given the people who have the WWE network, the people who are watching this show are the hardest of the hardcores. I probably would have reconsidered either, even having this match as the, uh, as the main events, because you have this great moment of Finn Balor winning the title, and then you have this main event. And that's the other thing that I think hurt this match as well, is you had a really great opener, you had Brock Lesnar, you had the title change, and then you have this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it, there's no way that these four guys on this type of show were going to put in the level of effort that is required to keep the fans involved. And given that Kane is in there, there's the storylines are a little bit weird, uh, this was always going to be a tough sell, but yeah, I, it was a disappointing end to the show, but I don't think that takes away from anything else that took place. If this was second from the top, I think my perception of the match might've been a little different, but again, that 25 minute runtime is way too long. Jeff, I, what is the better solution? Because again, I may be more positive on the main event. Uh, than anyone else just because of my expectations going in. But what would have been the better result? Do you not put this match on the actual TV special? Uh, because I have to believe they have this as the main event because it's John Cena. You're still doing a live event in Tokyo, Japan. And honestly, John Cena probably has to be in the main event. A two-minute Brock Lesnar uh, squash is not going to do it. And they were worried what type of reaction Finn Balor and Kevin Owens have. And I don't know if those two could have gone in there and been the last match on the show. I think people were waiting and wanted to see John Cena. So as far as a live show main event, I think that had to be the last match they saw. But would you have kept it off of the TV special and just built around Brock and the NXT title match alone? No, I would have put a John Cena singles match in there. And you know what? If it's not against an established WWE guy, make it a U.S. Open challenge for a guy from Japan. That's what I would have done because the progression of the matches 
there's no way they could have topped anything the way they did it. And what they did, they, they, you know, it was a house style main event match or mm-hmm. a house show style, not main event style where you have that kind of heat and it's a fight type of atmosphere. It was, it was going through the motions and you know what? I didn't care for it. Cause I kind of, I'll admit I tuned it out cause it didn't matter. And I was feeling so good about the Balor Owens match that, you know, they could, they could have put on that three way divas after, after it. And I w- wouldn't have minded it that much, but as it is, if you're looking for, you know, crowd going home happy, they did that. I mean, they got Cena, but, you know, he didn't need to be in the tag match. Put him in a main event match with one-on-one, and then, you know, they get to see the hits and get to go home happy, which was the whole point of it. Now, the question becomes whether or not we'll see more specials like this on WWE Network. I mean, this was a this was a pretty special house show. It was WWE in Japan. You got Brock Lesnar to be on the show. That's great. Um, do you see maybe even this calendar year them putting more special events into some U.S. house shows? Maybe they air some Sunday night house shows on non-pay-per-view nights. Maybe they air a Friday or Saturday house show. Do you see that as an option and something possible the rest of this year, Jeff? I, it's possible, but it's not a positive because look what they did with King of the Ring. They've already put that on there, and it's inconsequential. It's a, it's a bunch of more product you could see on Raw or SmackDown. The whole drawing power of NXT is that it's different. It's different in style and it's different in talent that we don't see for six hours a week already. So, I mean, even if they put more content live on there, if the content doesn't matter, then there's no reason to watch it. Jerome, what do you think about the idea that you can have specials on the WWE Network without making them, uh, you know, giving fans too much wrestling? You already have three hours of Raw. You already have two hours of SmackDown. You have the D shows of superstars and main event. I mean, is putting house shows on WWE Network too much wrestling or is it a good idea to have something special like what New Japan does when they have their their non-special events on New Japan World? It's one of those catch-22 situations because WWE has so many masters to please at this point because they've obviously got their own network now Mm -hmm. that they have to fill up with content and you're already stretched thin by the fact that you're airing three hours of raw, two hours of SmackDown, an hour of main event, an hour of superstars. So you're already sort of stretched thin with eight hours a week of TV. But I almost think if you're going to make this network work, then you're going to have to do things like this to get, to keep people's interest. Because I know that for me, I don't watch Raw or SmackDown on a weekly basis, but the fact that this this show intrigued me because it was in Japan, because you had a special main event. Chris Jericho is not someone who I'm all too excited about to see on Raw and SmackDown as a as a regular character, but as a one-off against Neville, yeah, absolutely. I will watch that every day. Um so yeah, this was a super fun this is a super fun show and I think if that's what we're going to get then I have I have very little problem with that. I don't know what we can do in the future to ensure, you know, we get better cards like this. I, I think it would be a part the NXT championship being defended, maybe having the Intercontinental and the US titles beefed up in importance so that maybe they could main event a future show. But, you know, especially if you're gonna run like a show the day after Christmas at Madison Square Garden or in Chicago, yeah, I would put that on the network for sure. Because people are going to be looking for stuff to do. People are going to be looking for stuff to watch. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think if you throw on a random house show the day after Christmas, I certainly think that could work out. Yeah, you mentioned those post, uh, you know, those holiday shows, the post-Christmas, maybe around New Year's, especially on years where maybe a Raw is going to have to be a tape show because it falls on the holiday. 
you know, hey, you want to buy the WWE Network for someone for Christmas? Well, guess what's the first thing you can do? You can watch a special event, you know, where you might get a weird main event or something like that. Maybe something that would be of interest there. Uh, at Headliner5 mentions on Twitter, he asks, do you ever think they would do a live special from Mexico similar to what they did Saturday morning uh, for Beast in the East? And kind of going along with that, uh, something they could easily do. I mean, this show promoted the fact that Finn Balor is an upcoming star. He wins the NXT title. He looks like a big deal. This show was kind of built around Brock Lesnar and Finn Balor. If you were to do one of these specials from Mexico, maybe you can get a tag team like the Lucha Dragons over or a Mexican superstar over in front of the hometown and make it a special event. What about pairing these special events, not just with the location, but with the ability to actually build a star or two on these special events without having to give them, you know, an hour of time on Raw to try and get them over? Well, I, yes and no, it could. But remember, I mean, the WWE Japan crowd is different than Japanese wrestling crowds in many ways. It's a more of an Americanized crowd. So, they, you know, they like, you know, they came dressed as Cena and whatnot. And, and it's, you know, you're going to get your WWE fans in Mexico. It's not going to necessarily be the crossover to Lucha fans who are Mexican wrestling fans. So there's, there's a danger there. It, it, it could come off as pandering in many, many ways. And the WWE doesn't do subtlety well. So I think it's a caveat M tour. I don't think the Lucha Dragons are at the, at the position enough where you could make them main event stars. They don't work the style and they're just not interesting enough to be honest with you. Yeah. I don't know if the Lucha Dragons would be right for it now. I mean, if they were doing this and they still had someone like Alberto Del Rio or or someone on the rise who uh, has Mexican descent, I, I think this would be a good idea. Maybe you go into Canada and you promote one of your Canadian stars. Maybe you have a live show from England and promote uh, someone from there. I, I, I wonder if it's not just, you know, the location, but also pairing a superstar to get over. Because that's really what we saw on Saturday morning. I mean, that event was to get Finn Balor over, you know, get NXT into some higher exposure while also showing the uh, event live from Japan. Um, let's uh, go on to some news that also came out this weekend uh, we had talked, Jeff, on a show a long time ago, it seems like, probably a few weeks ago, about mm-hmm. Triple H tweeting a tease for an event from NXT being added to SummerSlam weekend. And this weekend, we got the news that NXT will be taking over Brooklyn. On Saturday, August 22nd, they will be filming and airing live NXT TakeOver from the Barclays Center, uh, from a scaled-down Barclays Center arena. Uh Airing TakeOver on its non-usual night, no Wednesday, no Thursday. It's going to be on Saturday. It'll be the day before SummerSlam. Uh, Jerome, we'll start with you. What were your initial thoughts when you heard that NXT wasn't just having an event at the Barclays Center, but TakeOver will be coming from the Barclays Center? My thought is Ring of Honor better have some really, really good matches coming up on that night because that's going to be a very busy busy evening in the New York, New Jersey area. You've got Ring of Honor. They're going to be running in Brooklyn. Uh, you've, of course, got NXT at the Barclays Center, and you have a PWS show with Rey Mysterio and Kenny Omega on that night. So there's a lot to do in the NYC area. So I have a feeling that we're going to see something like Finn Balor and Samoa Joe or something like that. That would make the most sense to me if you're trying to draw people in. But obviously, they're they're going for the, maybe the more casual WWE fan who is uh, who's maybe looking for something to do on a uh, Saturday night. But... When you don't have ratings to worry about like they do in the case of the WWE Network, you know, they can do these specials on Saturday night and I think they'll be okay. 
Obviously, Saturday nights during the summer, not a great time, but obviously people can watch it on demand on Sunday morning when they first wake up and after their Saturday night activities. So it's not as big of a deal as far as, you know, how many people are watching the event. Because I think people who are interested in NXT are the type of fans who are going to watch it on demand regardless. Mm -hmm. So... I think it's going to be really great. And I mean, not, not to mention too, but uh, NXT has done this before. They ran San Jose, uh, you know, pretty much at the same time of Ring of Honor. I mean, it, it was if you were going to go to the shows that night uh, at WrestleMania weekend, you were probably picking one or the other. Not too many went to Ring of Honor and then tried to bus it right to the NXT show, which started <laughs> a little bit later. Not too many people. Um, and there's plenty to draw from in that area for sure. I think every show is going to have their, uh, fill of people who are going to attend, but yeah, the, now the nice thing about this is if you are still someone iffy on whether to go to ring of honor, ring of honor has announced some matches for their show already. Uh, NXT will have taped pretty much all of the TV leading up to the NXT takeover special. Now they tape next week on July 16th and most likely they'll tape all the TV leading up to it. Uh, and you'll know if you really want to all the matches set for that takeover before the tickets even go on sale because the tickets go on sale on the 18th. So before you even have to commit to going to NXT, you'll know what the matches are. So that kind of helps and that helps the selection of whether to go to ring of honor PWS or that uh, takeover show. Uh, but Jeff, your overall thoughts on takeover coming to the network on a Saturday and not just any Saturday, but the Saturday of SummerSlam weekend. Oh, you figured that 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 would happen. Brooklyn's an interesting locale. I, I can't. I'm interested in the Barclays Center. I know it's probably like one of the annexes or stuff, but it keeps it. Brooklyn's the perfect city for NXT. It's that uh, hipster type venue, keeping NXT kind of a as an alternative, even though it's run by a corporation. And the other note I had is if they don't put the tag team titles on the Tri-State Heroes at that time, they're fools. They're absolute fools. Well, I think you're going to be huge. You may very well get that match on that takeover show. Yeah. You may have some type of tag title match there. It'll be interesting to see too, because yeah, we just saw Finn Balor win the NXT championship in a pretty big arena in Japan, but this will be the first time now that you'll see Finn Balor in the United States in a big arena setting on TV and not just a house show. There's something that's televised. Finn Balor going in most likely is NXT champion. I can't imagine they take the belt off him before the show. So we assume he'll go in as champion. And it'll be interesting to see how a lot of these guys on NXT translate through TV in the big arena setting. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, Jerome, you mentioned Finn Balor and Samoa Joe, something like this. I mean, I, I have a hard time wondering what the main event might be. I don't think you can do Finn Balor and Rhino for sure. So I, I wonder what they're actually going to do for a main event there and whether or not Kevin Owens might actually work the NXT special and SummerSlam on the same weekend. I Just go to both of you guys. That question, yes or no, will Kevin Owens be on this TakeOver show, Jeff and then Jerome? I'm going to say no. No. All right. Yeah, I don't think he'll be on the show either. I think, I think we just saw his last NXT match at the Beast in the East. Thanks to Jerome Hewson at PW Ponderings for joining us to talk Beast in the East. We will be back with Jerome a little bit later to talk wrestling road stories. But first, we are going to come back with Jeff and I talking to TNA's Tyrus, formerly Brodus Clay of WWE. We got 40 minutes with Brodus Clay coming at you just after the break. Shake Them Ropes is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, TuneIn Radio, and more. Search Shake Them Ropes on your favorite podcatcher or visit VoicesOfWrestling.com for more. 
We have several options, all free, available if you would like to support Shake Them Ropes and VoicesOfWrestling.com. If you're making any purchases on Amazon, you can use our affiliate link. There is no extra cost to you at all. VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Amazon. That will bring you to the page where you can do all your shopping and Voices of Wrestling and Shake Them Ropes get a little bit of a kickback. Not a whole lot, but it is a good way to show your support. And again, there's no extra cost to you. If you are shopping at WWE Shop, you can help us out by visiting VoicesOfWrestling.com slash WWE Shop. And that will take you to the page and you can get all your new stuff from WWE Shop. Available there at VoicesOfWrestling.com slash WWE Shop. If you're not really in the mood for buying anything, you can still show your support for Shake Them Ropes by following us on Twitter at Shake Them Ropes, subscribing to the YouTube channel, VoicesOfWrestling.com slash YouTube, sharing our show, commenting on the show, liking our show, sending us feedback. Tons of great ways for you to show your support for our show and uh, the work that we do to try and entertain you and give you a good product, good commentary on the world of pro wrestling. We appreciate you listening to Shake Them Ropes, and we continue with Shake Them Ropes episode 93 and Brodus Clay here now. Welcome back to uh, Shake Them Ropes. Rob McCarron, Jeff Hawkins here, and we are joined now by TNA's Tyrus, formerly Brodus Clay of WWE. Tyrus is working with TNA. He's on Impact Wrestling every Wednesday night on Destination America, at Brodus Clay on Twitter, at Tyrus Smash on Instagram. Uh, Tyrus, thanks you so much for uh, joining us today. How are you? Oh man, I'm good, man. I'm maintaining. Maintaining. Uh, how is how is TNA going for you? Uh, you were on the the live episode. You've been on Slammiversary. You're doing a lot with TNA now. How's how's all that going for you right off the bat? Oh, uh, it's going really well. Like I said, uh, I did what I was uh, brought in to do. Uh, EC3 captured the you know heavyweight championship of the, of the world, so he's you know uh, he's a happy dude right now. Uh, and he was partying up pretty good last night. So he's, uh, I did my job and it's been a while since a enforcer has come in and actually succeeded in getting the, uh, guy who, uh, brings him in the championship. So, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, everybody's happy. <laughs> everybody's happy. Everyone in the household. Yeah. And that's, that's the way it should be, right? Everyone in the household, yeah. uh, household should be happy for you. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's an interesting role too. Cause you're, you're the enforcer there uh, in TNA for Ethan Carter, the third, uh, you were in a similar enforcer role, uh, in one of your earlier stints in WWE being the enforcer for Alberto Del Rio. I mean, is that an enforcer role that, you know, you, you have a past in bodyguarding. Is that role suited to you because of your past? Do you enjoy working in a role like that? Um, you know, uh, one of my all time favorites, you know, is Arn Anderson. Nice. And uh, he was probably uh, the greatest enforcer uh, of all time. And, you know, I spent a lot of time uh, working on stuff with him and uh, training him really, too. It was just, he would say he, he threw out a lot of wet shirts, uh, spending time with me, rolling around the ring and stuff, and just working um, on our on my style of uh, wrestling and stuff. So um, I enjoyed that, you know. But at the same time, he was also able to etch out a pretty solid um, singles career and tag career for in his own right. Um, you know, he, he easily could have been, uh, I think, a world heavyweight champion. But as far as, like, television titles and tag team titles, United States titles, I mean, he has a you know, pretty solid resume. So, um, you know, I, I enjoy that role. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a natural fit. Um, but, you know, it's uh, – Long term, I look more to be, uh, you know, single and on my own. But 
uh, for right now, that's the, the groove. And uh, when EC3 came to me, that's what he needed. And um, uh, like I got you. So now that we got his part, then we'll probably start taking care of some of my stuff. And, uh, and uh, we'll just see where this where this goes. But uh, it's a good time to be in TNA right now, and it's a good time to be in wrestling. And it sounds like for sure that you have aspirations. I, you let it out there a little bit that you are looking for a singles run at some point. You're happy with what you're doing now, but you're looking for a singles run. I, if you were the promoter, if you were, you know, booking and designing what was going to happen in the future, um, a singles role sounds like what you would want to put yourself in. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah so I got a, a good taste of that, uh, you know, with the Funkasaurus, the WWE, until. Um, so, Ended up, uh, you know, tagging with Tenzine, but um, standing on my own two feet is always something that uh, appeals to me. And I think I really don't, you know, sometimes guys that you know get a part of groups or whatever is because they lack one thing or another. Um, as far as the mic stuff goes, I've always done very well in that aspect of thing. As far as work goes, um, when a lot do my thing, I'm, I'm able to do my thing. So uh, I really don't need anybody. Um, so. You know, and uh, but then again, that's what makes the dynamic of, uh, you know, me uh, and EC3 work is that he just didn't go out and get a body. He got out somewhere that was going to change the game for him. So, you know, it's not every day you beat Kurt Angle. So, right. Yeah. Um, especially Pe- for, you know, world championships. So. Absolutely. People, uh, I, you don't need anybody, but it, it seems like people need you. I, you've been in this enforcer role a, a lot. Uh, a lot of people don't realize, too, that at WrestleMania 27, you were involved uh, with Alberto Del Rio and what was possibly and what was actually Edge's last match in WWE. Yeah. Um, is that something you yeah. look back on and are happy with, or is that one um, of those milestones that you kind of put in your back pocket? It's a, it's a bittersweet thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, unless it's under the right circumstances uh, where a wrestler or any athlete is going out under their own accord, you know, like, Hey, this is my last match. I'm retiring. I'm moving on. Uh-huh. Um, you know, with Edge's situation with an injury that caused, uh, the retirement. So it's kind of a bittersweet thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's WrestleMania. It was my first WrestleMania. Um, we were unsuccessful, um, win the championship, but you know, I had some pretty big moments, uh, and being out there with Christian and him. And, uh, I wish things would have been different in terms of like, uh, you know, Edge's retirement due to, you know, his, uh, injury and stuff. But, um, at the same time, it was an honor to be, uh, to be a part of that, but, uh, I wish things would have been different. At Brodus Clay on Twitter, Tyrus Smash on Instagram. What would you say is the one thing uh, that when people recognize you out in the real world, they say to you the most or ask you about the most? Um, lately, they say I look a lot like Brodus Clay, but I'm bigger. <laughs> Big, bigger, and you got you got the uh, the facial hair uh, going. Yeah. I mean, you look like and, uh, someone you don't want to cross paths with. So uh, you know, I, I usually play along. I said, yeah, I met that cat. I told him not to show his face around, and uh, no one's seen him. And they're like, yeah, you know, he's nice. You know, he's a lot nicer than you know, and he was smaller, and you know, he was more of a dancer and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, for real. Um, but you guys could be brothers. I'm like, oh well, maybe you know, who knows? Uh, had a lot of fun with that. But um, that actually happened last night. So, um, you know that, and they just don't. They honestly, they a lot of times they don't realize in real life how big I actually am. That's mm-hmm. usually the biggest thing. Yeah, you're six seven, right? Yeah, six, seven and a half. I'm, uh, I'm going to hiccup away from six, eight. <laughs> I had a question um, about the bodyguard role um, that you played, because now you've played two of them, and they're both been 
different in their own style. And I love, I've always loved kind of the interplay of the giant bodyguard with the, I mean, EC3 is not a small guy by any means, but a smaller guy. You know, are you more comfortable in the kind of the non-speaking, just kind of enforcer, Mr. Hughes style of bodyguard? Or do you like this more interplay kind of thing that you're having with EC3 and TNA, which seems like even a new side of your own bodyguard character? Yeah. Well, um, being quiet is not easy for me. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, especially in the locker room stuff, like uh, in both locker rooms, I was, you know, I'm the guy, I tease everybody and uh, I'm kind of a loud mouth and stuff like that. So, um, but looking at the thing where EC3 is kind of a whiner um, and he kind of, he complains a lot. So both of us complaining doesn't really work, but like at anniversary, I jumped on there, I picked my spots and, and when you're also when you're developing a new a new persona, um, the thing about the Son of the Swords is every time he talked, everybody liked it, so, and I was cool. So if I come back as Tyrus and I'm talking and saying because I can't not be witty and say what's on my mind or try to say clever things and stuff like that, then it's not really Tyrus. It's just um, you know, and, and I had to be aggressive and mean, and but my work and facial expressions build a character. Um, it's a risk, you know, people are like, oh, he, he can't talk anymore or something like that. But in terms of building a new persona um, and a new identity, Cyrus didn't need to talk in the beginning. And, right. And, um, and when he does talk, uh, it's important. Whereas the Hulkasaurus character, he runs his mouth about everything, you know, and uh, probably witty and clever and, and cool. And I think as a heel, uh, we have too many cool heels these days. Mm-hmm. Which is impossible for a babyface when the when you know because everybody likes Darth Vader, you know. But does anybody like the Emperor? You know, because he, he didn't say much. He didn't look the part. Uh, he was ugly and he was he wasn't seen. Yeah, Georgie doesn't like. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Mama. <laughs> you got it. And um, you know, just getting back to that character when I think about the you know the, the bad guys that I watched growing up and stuff, they didn't say a word. You know. Uh, Big John Studd, King Kong Bundy, um, they really didn't talk that much. You know, Bobby Heenan did all the talking for him. And in this situation, um, EC3 does most, you know, he, he gets on that mic and he runs on forever. So, yeah. uh, and that's fine. Because what I'm trying to do is, you know, the thing about the Funkasaurus is the type of matches that was designed to have, um, you know, I have to have maybe three to six minutes, six if I was lucky, uh, TV time. To get some, and that's not a whole lot of time to get things accomplished or to, you know, uh, got away from the suplexes and just be aggressive and, and stuff like that. So, uh, Tyrus, I'd rather spend that time uh, getting the work. And now you're starting to hear the compliments and the praises, you know, and um, stuff like that as far as the work and stuff goes. So when it comes time to get on the mic and do my thing, I mean, I've, 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 I'm not really concerned with that. Just I'm excited now when uh, – here's a perfect example. Like, uh, listen today, and someone goes, hey, Tyrus, is that you? Where – Three four months ago, it would have been Brodus Clay. Interesting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, it, it's one thing to, and I'm not, I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I love Brodus Clay character. Mm-hmm. I love the Funkasaurus. It was great, and it was different. It was something uh, to give back to. You know, we had the junkyard dog when I was a kid. And we had the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. So you know, there wasn't really a character like that that was cool and the kids liked. You know, when mom and dad were like, "Hey, yeah, you can watch wrestling tonight because Funkasaurus is on." Yeah, go ahead, check it out. Um, and that was cool. Um, now I'm trying to go a different route. So to get away from um, 
that character has had to do some things differently. And now it's becoming more of, hey, can we, when, can we book Tyrus? Can we book Tyrus? Or before yeah. it was like, we're going to book the Funkasaurus. So it's, it's like basically I have a uh, split personality now, whereas before it was just Brodus Clay just being mean. Now it's, hey, that's Tyrus, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm and, proud of that. And it's still a process. I'd still say it's, you know, it's like it, at one time it was 90-10, and then now it's, seven, and then now it's like 60-40, which is, which is saying a lot for as impactful as the Funkasaurus character was. And reinvention is so bad. yeah, reinvention is so important both even in the careers of you and EC3 here. Uh, but it was interesting to me that you went directly to pop culture when talking about bad guys in terms of Darth Vader and everybody liking him. Are are there are you the kind of guy that that for these types of villainous characters you go to different pop cultural references like certain comic books, TVs, movies that you like to look for inspiration? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm a you know movie geek and stuff like that, and. Uh, I read lots of comic books and stuff, and when I think about characters and stuff like uh, the Abomination or even like nice. the Hulk, the early stuff, uh, Venom didn't really say much. Um, and when you did, it was forceful um, and being aggressive. I think a bad guy is a bad guy. Um, silence is uncomfortable. Okay. But silence, when they know you can say something, is is worse mm. because you're plotting and you're thinking. You don't you, know, you just don't be a big dumb guy. Right. Like we've seen a million of that, you know, and, and Mr. Hughes, he could talk. Yeah. We just never knew it, you know, and I think that role, that bodyguard role is, why wouldn't, you know, come on, you know, and I've even made references to where when EC was, does his stuff, I don't even like it because it's not a, you know, he's, when he had the quartet and they were singing and dancing and stuff and I was just staring at him like this, this is, this is terrible, but I'm here to do a job, you know what I'm saying? So when we all had jobs, we necessarily didn't like everything about it. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of nuance of being more of a lieutenant than a bodyguard, which which is yeah, you know, I like that. Yeah, yeah, you know, Arn Anderson had his own. I think of that kind of bodyguard. Uh, you know, the last time I think a bodyguard that you know was probably Diesel and Shawn Michaels. Um, there was success in terms of like you know for both guys or whatever. Um, it's just the bodyguard thing doesn't last anymore because there's no. The story, you know, they fizzle out too quick or they turn too quick or, you know, it just doesn't, they don't build stories anymore. And the nice thing about TNA is that they, they're not afraid to build a story. You see winning this title, you know, was it took it took a long build, you know, and basically brought a guy in and built it from scratch, you know. And then he had success, you know, in the WWE. It's not like he was some guy off the street, you know. And, uh, you know, I had some battles with him back in the day over there. So uh, working with him, I knew what he already brought to the table, so. Uh, for me, it was a no-brainer. Yeah, it's been. Uh, you came in in November, December time, if I'm not mistaken, to TNA, and it's been ever since then that they kind of been building to this. And you're right, TNA is not afraid to build up that story for the long haul. And I think, I, do you think that's part of the issue where we're getting so many cool heels because they're more interested in short term and selling T-shirts and being yeah. people that want to be cool instead of actually, you know, building up a long-term storyline that might, you know, either draw money or draw more interest. Stone Cold changed the game. Yeah. He was a cool heel. I mean, I'd say he's a baby face. He's a baby face that cheated and threw punches, but he was basically a bad guy. All the things that he said, if, you know, uh, the Iron Sheet came out and said, they blew him to the end of the time. But because he was <laughs> rock and roll cool, you know, um, it changed the, you know, it changed the, the role. Baby faces all of a sudden look goofy and dumb. Like, you know, if it was Stone Cold versus Ricky Steamboat in the Attitude Era, Ricky Steamboat wouldn't have had a chance. And he's a, probably the greatest baby face of all time. But you, who would they have cheered for? Right. They would have cheered for Stone Cold. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, they would have because eaten Ricky. Sudden, st- yeah. And, and that's it's insane to think about, you know. But uh, you know, he just was that, you know, that rock and roll kind of heel um, that everybody wanted to be, and every guy thought he was in the mirror. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm cool. I'm a badass. You know, you weren't, but they thought they were. So, um, you know, they they loved it. You know, and he won. So, uh, going back to to a character that's non-complimentary and doesn't like like it's anniversary, perfect uh, example. Uh, there was a little girl holding a sign up, you know, for Bobby Lashley and uh, Gunner, and I mean, uh, not Gunner, I'm sorry, uh, Anderson, and. Uh, politely taking the sign from her and tearing it up and giving it back to her and watching her cry. We just don't see that anymore, you know? <laughs> and that took all the coolness out of it. Like, and don't, and she cried, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I just looked at the crowd and smiled, and especially coming from me, you know, they're going, what, you know? And then I'm just like, I told you, I hate the kids. And then that's what the I'm paid night, to do. You know, was, you know, they throw, you know, they throw stuff at me all night. And that's fine. You, you bought the merch. I didn't. So right. um, I enjoy that. You you speak very eloquently and and wisely about the business. I you you seem to have these long term sights on it. Um, I, I think there's a perception out there about Tyrus that uh, you've been wrestling for a short time, but really you've been in it for about a decade, uh, maybe even longer yeah. if I'm mistaken. I 2006, in, so it's yeah. getting it'll be it'll be ten years. Uh, you know, next year. And I took a hiatus, but with uh, to go back with bodyguard with Snoop. But um, but I've been a student of the game my entire life. You know, uh, I was a fan first, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. W- was there any thought uh, when you left WWE the second time that you would go back to doing that, that you would go back to being a bodyguard or find something else um, in entertainment to do? Or, um, I mean, the you know, the entertainment thing, uh, I am working on other projects and stuff like that. But for me, um, I wanted to keep wrestling. I wanted to do things. I, w- I was like, I did it their way. And, uh, you know, I... I was given stuff and I made, you know, it work or whatever. And then it was my time to try to expand. Um, just, you know, we just didn't really work out. Um, so I was like, uh, I had my mind made up that I was going to TNA already. Um, so, uh, it was just when they called, you know, and they called them fairly quickly. Um, it was just, a, it was, I, that's where I wanted to be. So, uh, they were going to a new network, so I was a new start, new company, um, a chance. And it's, and it's, you know, you don't know TV shows today. You don't know if things are going to work or not, but, uh, as a chance to, you know, it's almost like a new company, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I think in a short amount of time, when you say TNA, now you, you'd be like EC3 and, Oh yeah, Tyrus, you know what I'm saying? Before maybe you would, but, um, definitely we've kind of got that kind of, uh, swag going on right now. And, uh, you know, it's to the point where we're even getting attention from up the street, you know, see so to try to diss me, uh, talking about the XFL and, you know, the Funkasaurus or whatever. But, you know, thanks for thinking about me. Appreciate it. Um, that, that's so really all there is to it. Things, right? Yeah, that, that's yep. what there is to it. If you're saying my name, if you're remembering me, then I did something right on TV. Like, if you remember who I was and can remember a character that I did, you were doing something right. You're not a, you weren't a nameless yep. guy on TV. You made something of everything. Yep. So, I, I want to ask you a little bit about... Uh, when you're not wrestling on TNA, when you're not wrestling in impact wrestling, you're doing other shows here and there. You're, you're still traveling uh, quite a bit. Um, is the traveling schedule less or more hectic than it was in WWE? Just because you, you don't know the next town is not just two hours away. You may be flying from the East coast to the West coast the next day. What, what's the traveling like nowadays? 
Um, well, I kind of pick my, I pick and choose my schedule, which is completely different. You know, um, the WWE, um, here's your, here's, you get a, you know, you get your email on Wednesday up. I'm going here. I'm going here. I'm going here. Um, where now I'd be like, uh, I want to go here. I don't, I don't think I've ever been here. So I'll, you know, you kind of pick and choose. If you want to take a week off, you take a week off. If you don't, you don't, you know, so it's more, um, flexible. So you travel, I mean, when you, when you go, when you're going and when you're running, you're running. Um, and I do more overseas stuff, which before with the WWE, you go overseas like maybe four times a year. Now I'll go overseas, you know, six or seven times a year. So, which is, um, which is cool because I'm not going to all my bucket list places, you know, I'm just with a guitar and I'm getting ready to go to Israel. And, uh, so I'm not, I'm seeing all kinds of places and, and being your own boss is really cool. You, uh, you're going to be in TNA wrestling. You're doing, a couple of independent dates. In fact, one of the uh, dates that there's a company here where I am, I'm in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and there's a company here that's advertising you on uh, July 25th. So not too far away. You're going to be in my neck of the woods here coming up. Uh, it looks like on the card against a fellow named Congo Kong. Are you familiar with Congo Kong or familiar with some of the yeah, uh, top names? Some of stuff. I, I try, I pay attention to guys and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he has a lot of face pain and uh, he's a big guy. He's actually pretty athletic. Uh, so I'm interested to see, um, just how athletic he is when we and get in the ring with him. But uh, um, I've seen some of his stuff and uh, Texas and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, my daughter doesn't seem to think he's going to be sort of threat. Um, <laughs> Dad is going to win. Yeah. So. Um. Earlier this year, yeah. you were uh, Jeff Jarrett and his Global Force Wrestling. Uh, you were set right. to do a couple of shows with him, uh, wrestling Ring of Honor's Moose. And that kind of went away. Uh, you wrote on Twitter that you weren't uh, doing those events due to contractual obligations. Uh, can you tell us right. anything about kind of what happened with that? Well, looks to me like I was preemptively messing up a swerve so without knowing it. So <laughs> I was confused why I was asked not to do the shows. But uh, and it, it, looked like it, was, it looked like it was a contract issue. Like, you know, uh, it was pretty much teenage. You can work wherever you want with the exception of companies that run TV. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because obviously, you know, you wouldn't want to run against yourself. So, um, so that looked like what the situation was going to be. So, uh, when that was explained to me, then of course I did, you know, the right thing. And I, you know, talked to Jeff and let him know, and, uh, no one really smartened me up. And, uh, then when he came walking on to, uh, TNA and I was like, what the hell? (laughs) And, um, Immediately, uh, one of the reps from Kinnick put his hand on my shoulder. Goes, you can work at shows now, and I say it's so important to get away from you right now. So uh, I was kind of hot. They I kept like, it from me. Yeah, they couldn't. They couldn't. You know, yeah, they couldn't. Who on. knows if that? You know, if it, like I said, I don't know anything about negotiations and things like that. I can mm-hmm. control what I can control, and it could have been a you know a midnight deal. You know what I mean? Uh, these things, you know, happen, but, you know, the good thing was that, um, you know, Dixie Carter had the vision to, you know, make a deal to where the, you know, the talent gets more work. And when bosses are willing to do that and outsource for you, get you uh, more bookings and stuff like that, um, you know, that's a good thing. And that's a, that's a feather in the cap to her. And I think sometimes she gets a bad rap. Um, you know, I think she gets the same kind of like elitist view as like, you know, the McMahons and stuff get. Um and it's actually very, she's very different in terms of like, um, very polite and family oriented and, 
and uh, you know the you know the and the hands are like business businessmen, you know, and they have a lot more guys that they have to deal with, and and uh, you know WWE is a big giant machine, you know, so there's less time for more personal stuff. Yeah. And um, you know she was very um, very personal and stuff, so it was very cool for her to make that deal with Jeff Jarrett for you know to get the voice and stuff more work because not everybody gets. You know, uh, I'm lucky to where, I mean, I'm booked just off GP. You know, I don't really need another place to get booked or whatever. So is there, are there plans to uh, wrestle on any of the Grand Slam tours, any of the GFW shows, or is that, well, I mean, we're just kind of waiting to see? Well, I mean, he's championship, so, you know, I'll take a title shot. <laughs> there so, you go. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's king of the mountain, but he didn't beat me, so, um <laughs> You you mentioned uh, Arn Anderson as a kind of an inspiration early. Uh, when you were first starting in pro wrestling, were there any mentors that you had? Were there anyone that w- you know kind of took you in uh, when you were starting with WWE and developmental? And you uh, you maybe asked questions of you maybe uh, asked them about their experiences in wrestling. Did you have anyone kind of like that that could show you the ropes? Um, there was a lot of good trainers and stuff like that. Um. Uh, there's a long list of guys. I was very lucky. There was a lot of people um, early on. You know, it was uh, Bill DeMont and Dr. Tom and uh, Jody Hamilton, um, uh, William Regal, Dave Taylor, uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, who was uh, a tremendous influence. But uh, when he first met me, he was like, I only talk to stars, baby. <laughs> I was like, well, uh, they told me to come over here and introduce myself. I didn't ask to meet you. You know, I was like, I never wanted to meet him in the first place. You know, I was kind of mad like that. Um, you know, then our relationship just kind of grew from there. And you're like, who's this guy walking around here? Thinks he's he's got more charisma than me. You know, and uh, it just kind of grew. And then next thing you know, uh, it was uh, you know, I spent most of my time in his office making him tell me stories. So, mm-hmm. um, so I've been lucky. You know, a lot of great influence. Even if guys didn't want to necessarily, like I think Dean Malenko didn't have much use for me at first, but uh, you stick around bug guy enough, you know, you'll come around. You know, in the course of Arne Anderson and uh, uh, so many trained road dogs. I mean, I, I was lucky in terms of, like, uh, a lot of good guys you know, in my corner and stuff like that. And just and boys himself, like wrestling, you know, Tyson, you know, all through developmental and stuff like that. I mean, how can you not get better? Um, so, you know, I was just lucky in terms of, like, having a good support system, but not being afraid to listen and learn, you know, and take criticism. And be coached, and you know, and you know, sometimes I got really bad. You know, Double A would tear me apart. I'd have a, he didn't like the match, and he didn't think I did, you know, enough my potential. He would tell me that's terrible. I, you know, are you happy with that? You know. I have, so, a, I have a, I have a question. Um, I the story about how you transitioned from bodyguard to wrestling is is fairly well known. But you're from out where I am right now, and we are roughly the. Uh, same age uh you you were you're a southern california guy originally i believe and uh <laughs> oddly enough we we share how long were you in the this is gonna may come out of left field so if you don't remember that's fine how long did you do the pacific football league for out uh, here? i would show up between trials to stay in shape so uh um, okay so maybe I know one season for sure. I think I showed up right. for the opening season for one, and then I got a call for a tryout, and I was, uh, I was out. So right, I was uh, not. Yeah, 
I was not nearly in good enough shape to get through the tryout. But when did you decide to make the transition then from football to was it was it straight to bodyguarding or did you look into wrestling training first? No, I was teaching. No, I was teaching. Um, okay. You know, I was playing arena football. I finished up playing arena football and then right. um, was a little beat up and uh, started substitute teaching and started working in. Uh, um, I was being a recreation therapist uh, at Five Acres, which is okay. Um, and I was doing that, and then uh, bodyguarding. I was not working nightclubs at night for extra cheese. So everyone knows if you're a teacher, you don't make any money. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was supplementing income, bouncing at night, um, and then go from there. And then next thing you know, I went to um, uh, Saddle Ranch, and then you know, oh, just nice. met a guy. Met a guy, and then and started bodyguarding for Snoop, and then you know, bodyguarding for some other rich guys. And the owner of Saddle Ranch, I worked for him quite a while. Okay. Uh, I never actually uh, looked into wrestling other than when I did in college and then that didn't work out. But, uh, um, then Tommy Dreamer discovered me in the bar fight. So, right. And that was right. pretty much how it went from there. And he just was okay. shocked that I knew more about wrestling than he did. So <laughs> I, I, I just love that we had that little share experience of passing ships in the Pacific football league, but <laughs> yeah, California dolphins. Yep. Yep. <laughs> What are those kids thinking? Like, I, I don't know. What, what was the age group that you were teaching, and what were they thinking <laughs> when Big Tyrus walks in to teach their class? Well, that you know, Tyrus at the time was uh, George and uh, or Mr. Murdoch, and um, you know, he was a ball player, so I was cool. Um, nice. And, uh, you know, most of the kids I worked with were delayed or had some serious anger issues. Um, so they, you know... Size really doesn't matter. And it's funny because I get along with kids better than I do adults. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. Um, even now, like as mean as Tyrus can be, the kids don't really seem to care. You know, even when I you know make one cry, when else was like you know by the end of the show they still want a picture. So I don't I don't get it. But um, <laughs> you know, um, I've always just had a, I've always kind of led with humor and wit, and that seems to win kids over. You know, and know what they want to talk about. You know, when a kid you're trying to get a kid to understand something, and you're like, well, what would Dragon Ball Z do, or what would but when they understand, when you come at them in a, in a certain level in terms of getting to lead, to learn and be cognitive, when you reach them on their level, then you got them, you know. So I would study, I would know that, you know, not that I didn't like watching cartoons anyway, but, mm-hmm. you know, you got to know what's going on. Yeah, and when kids... you can reach them on their level and then bring them to yours, then you got them. And that was always my strategy. So I got along with the kids pretty Yeah, kids can look through an act real quick, and it seems like that you have kind of a no pretense yeah. type of uh, demeanor. Yeah. So, you know, and like I said, I, I like the most, most part of my life, I'm usually cracking jokes and pretty laid back. Um, but, uh, you know, I can turn it off. And when I stop talking, it's usually a problem. But, okay. Um, I've never been accused of being quiet. Uh, <laughs> always got something to say. So, uh, but yeah, I liked, uh, teaching was a lot of fun. I missed it. I enjoyed, uh, you know, I was coaching football with Snoop and stuff and, uh, um, Kind of my role expanded from just a bodyguard to like I was a coach, and you know, and I did a lot of stuff with just the kids. It's, um, a lot of those kids are growing up now; and they're all most of them are going to college and stuff. So you feel good about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, it's been a good experience, but I've always kind of been a teacher first when it comes to life outside of wrestling. Before we uh, let you go, we have uh, some questions that came in uh, through our email, robertvoicesofwrestling dot com. We got uh, one person asking, uh, five years from now, do you still see yourself in wrestling? Uh, do you see yourself more diversified? Uh, I'd like to be, I'd like to be uh, well, I got some, some movie stuff coming up, but 
Honestly, I'd like to do a little play-by-play and maybe some agent. But uh, as far as being in the ring, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. Daddy won't be wrestling then. Um, maybe, uh, you know, three more years maybe, and then it'll probably be a wrap. But um, if I'm still, you know, have the passion and the fire to want to be, I definitely would want to be in a teaching um, in a training mode. Or being an agent would be a lot of fun. Or uh, being an old-school booker or something like that. Um you know, or do my best gorilla monsoon impersonation. So, mm-hmm. um, so that would be kind of the goal or whatever. But uh, and nothing against the guys that stay in it, but I really think it's a disservice to the young guys when these guys stay too long. Um, you know, it's time to pass the torch and move on to other things in life. Um, and it, it just hurts your brand. You know, you want to be remembered. You know, is is who you are. And you know, and I'm not saying they can't come to legend things, do autograph signings and stuff like that. But when you see those guys that ring and stuff like that sometimes you you kill you kill the memory you know mm-hmm. yeah oh sure and yeah. we've all been there we've all seen that match where you're like please stop yeah there, there's <laughs> please, please stop oh god you know plenty stop. plenty of examples i am sure uh ever since your yes ever since your bodyguarding and pro wrestling days have you ever feared another person um usually where i was dating at the time uh <laughs> You know, don't do. I can, I, dude. I can take. You know, we want to fight. Let's fight. I've been in a fight for my life, last in a lifetime. But uh, arguing with emotions and stuff, because I'm a facts guy. Mm. Uh, so you know, women are mean, and uh, don't do too well with them in arguments and stuff. And and uh, I always have. I have that last word issue. Where I get the last word in. <laughs> no. I gotta, you know. Then I want to go to sleep, but I can't. I'm afraid what's going to happen to me. So that kind of fear. Okay. Uh, yeah. And last but not least, the most important question, and I'm sorry we have to end on this super serious note, but have you ever seen a ghost? I, you know what? I don't know. Um, I, I feel like that's something you would remember I if you had. I just don't know. I mean, I've had some weird dreams and stuff. Um, I've seen, I've seen Seamus. There you go. Um, Hopefully not too much. So, you know, Seamus with his shirt off pretty ghostly. Um, Yeah, he's so white. We wrestled in Mexico, and he had to wear a white uh, uh, body armor suit because the sun. He would have caught on fire. And the ring, the way it was during the day in a baseball stadium, and the ring was cut in half, and Seamus would only wrestle in the shade. So trying to move him into the sun is one of the greatest things I think I've ever seen in my life. So um, so as far as ghosts, yeah, Seamus. Uh, <laughs> there we go. So we'll count that as yes. That's, had, a, that's a victory. I think I, I had a dream once that I got abducted by an alien, but I hit the ship. So I don't know if that, if that counts. But, um, yeah, no ghost as of yet. I'll, I'll if count I did it. see it, I wouldn't be back. So. <laughs> that's true. I mean, I'll, I'll count yeah. that. I'm not going to tell Tyrus that I won't count it. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The alien's scarier anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, you know, but as far as like a ghost, yeah. I mean, I did scoop you, I didn't see any ghosts on that either. But, um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, no ghosts as of yet. Anything that you want to say to uh, the listeners out there, the fans that you've had through your WWE days now in TNA as Tyrus, uh, anything that you want to get out there, anything else just, that you want to say? I just want to say, uh, I just want to say thank you. Um, the support I get is crazy. And, um, people come up to me and talk to me. It doesn't bother me. Um, uh, you know, I try to always accommodate everybody. Um, 
you know, and if you have questions and stuff like that, you know, then just hit me up on Twitter. And I try to answer as much as I can. Um, and, uh, you know, Instagram and stuff like that. And uh, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to start doing a series called 21 Questions with Tyrus. And uh, we're going to videotape and have some fun with it. Because um, sometimes the fans crack me up um, with some of their questions. But put them on put them on camera uh, and have them ask the questions and stuff like that. Because uh, it, it amuses me like, with some of the stuff they come up with. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us today. Thank you very much. And we wish you the best success in uh, in your future with wrestling, with movies, with everything else that you're doing. Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate you guys. Anytime. I want to again thank Tyrus for joining us to talk about his career, his future with TNA, and his future in wrestling. We are going to be right back again with Jerome Cusan of PW Ponderings to talk wrestling road trip stories in just a moment. Uh, a few weeks ago on Shake Them Ropes, we started asking for your submissions about your favorite wrestling road trip memories, uh, motivations for going to wrestling events throughout your history, and we got some responses on that. And it's nice to have Jerome here because Jerome's someone who's gone to a lot of different events in the past. Um, I-, I wanted to have a little discussion here about some of the events that we've all attended, reasons for going, and uh, and kind of get some thoughts on there. I'm always interested to see what motivates someone to go to a wrestling event, especially when you have to travel far, maybe two, three, four plus hours away, uh, especially some of our European listeners uh, who travel, you know, pretty much a day sometimes, you know, throughout waiting at the airport and traveling and going to all these cities, pretty much a day of travel to go to like WrestleManias and different things. And, you know, what prompted this is the fact that WWE just came to uh, Fort Wayne, my hometown last week, and even though it was 15 minutes away from the arena, I didn't want to go because there wasn't a match that I wanted to see. Yet sometimes I'll travel six, seven hours to go to a show, and usually it's because of a match I want to see. There have been some WrestleManias I've gone to just because it's WrestleMania, and some Ring of Honor shows around WrestleMania weekend that I've wanted to go to just because it's WrestleMania weekend. But like usually when I'm going to a show, it's for a match. Uh, Jerome, what is your biggest motivator to go into a show? Do you need like that one match that really bites at you to go to it? Or do you just like traveling and watching wrestling from all different uh, types of uh, areas just in general? I think the main motivator for me is to see specific companies, buildings, and shows. So I've had the opportunity to go to the arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Uh, for two King of Trios events and a host of others. I've been to Dragon Gate USA there. I was at a CZW show. So my main motivator was to see that building. And when I went to see King of Trios in 2010, it was to see that particular event, because 2009 was so great that I knew that I I had to go to 2010's King of Trios. And I went to 2011's King of Trios, because what are the odds that I was ever going to see... Jinsuke, Shinzaki, and Great Sasuke in a ring ever again. And the one, two, three kid, I was never going to see those three guys. Mm-hmm. And that's not even including Manami Toyota. So sometimes it's to see specific people. Um, last year, I went to Bola, mostly because I had never been to Bola before. So that was a really big deal for me. And obviously, it was a star-studded cast of 24 wrestlers that were a part of that. So that was the main reason I wanted to uh, to do that. And for for AIW, you know, I've been there a couple times, and it has been to see, uh, you know, I saw two Colt Scorpio wrestle and Little Guido. So 
sometimes it's to see events and sometimes it's to see wrestlers. But, you know, certainly I think when you're traveling for a pro wrestling show, the things that you're going and, and the other thing for me is that part of it is also the social aspect of it. Because, you know, when I'm traveling to these shows, a lot of times I will run into people that have also traveled for shows. You know, I can tell you for a fact that when I went to WrestleMania two years ago, half the staff from Pro Wrestling Ponderings was in New Jersey, and we all got to hang out for one of the rare times ever. So that's uh, that's something that's pretty special. I mean, Chris and I are not somebody, you know, we interact with each other a lot, but Chris and I very rarely get to see each other. So we when we were in New Jersey, it was a pretty big deal. Jeff, what was the uh, what's the first wrestling event you can ever remember traveling like a, a somewhat of a distance to? Like it wasn't you know within an hour, it wasn't in your city or anything like that. Uh, what was the first event you ever traveled a distance to, and why did you go? Nineteen ninety four Smoky Mountain Wrestling Fan Fest. Uh, I went for Night of Legends and Fire on the Mountain. Uh, I went because a college buddy talked me into it and we were watching it and Smoky Mountain to us was a really good product. I mean, WCW and uh, WWF at the time weren't really engaging to me. Um, I was part of Rec Sport Pro Wrestling on Usenet and, and, you know, SMW and ECW were the two feds that were hot at the time for the most part. And, and I really wanted to go to this kind of fan fest type thing. And, uh, you know, I, I got my money's worth. I got to see the thrill seekers, which was Jericho and, and Lance storm. And this was the night that Jericho during the day had broken his wrist. That, that story take on the heavenly bodies. And I was a big heavenly bodies fan in bo- both incarnations from smoky mountain. Um, they had had some great feuds with like the rock and roll express and Arn Anderson and stuff over the course of the year. And, it was kind of their Night of the Legends weekend as well. You got to, you know, the first night, Night of the Legends, you know, you had guys like Ron Garvin and Dick Slater were on the card. And, you know, Candido and Lee and the Rock and Roll Express traded wins the two nights. And then over the course of the weekend, they had something called the uh, Barbecue with the Heels, which is basically the first shoot video ever released, more or less, because someone videotaped it. I don't remember a lot about it other than Jim Cornette doesn't like anybody. And Jimmy Del Rey ended up setting somebody's hat on fire <laughs> during the course of the day. But my buddy and I just decided it was summer right before our last year of college. He goes, you want to go out to Tennessee and, and watch this stuff? I'm like, do we have a place to stay? Like, yeah, sure, we'll split a hotel room, whatever. And uh, we just went out. And, you know, you got to see a lot of classic wrestlers and uh, hang out with a lot of, uh, for lack of a better term, interesting people. I've only made three three real road trips because I grew up in places that were wrestling hotbeds. I grew up in southeastern Virginia, which had Hampton and Norfolk, and then I have L.A. where I can go to PWG or big events at Staples Center. So I've only had that card, and then I went in February of 95. I drove up on my own to go see Double Tables, which was ECW event, um, because I wanted to see Tully Blanchard wrestle. And I got a great card out of that because I got the nice Al Snow-Chris Benoit match. Uh, that was on there. You know, you got to see Sabu, who was all the rage on the internet at the time, uh, and Public Enemy was as well, which in retrospect seems silly. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> a Cactus a Cactus Jack Sandman te- Texas Death Match. You can't go wrong with that stuff. So um, it was a great, great, uh, great card. Yeah, I was a little bit late to the game as far as traveling to wrestling. I mean, I was, yeah. you know, I, I was born in 1985. So, uh, you know, I, I, didn't get to go to wrestling myself really until the two thousands. Um, but 
I mean, some of the first trips I ever made, I mean, my first wrestling event was the WCW Nitro, you know, in Fort Wayne, Indiana in January of 1998. So that's the first time I ever actually went to a wrestling show. Um, you know, later on, af- as I got into college, I started going out. I started traveling a little bit, a little bit more. The first hour, the first ever show I actually traveled a bit to uh, was Ring of Honor Gold, the 50th Ring of Honor show in Dayton, Ohio. It was in October mm. of 2004. I was a freshman at Ball State. So it was a good two and a half hours away. You know, I, I found the first couple of months I was at Ball State, a couple of friends that, you know, they were friends first. Like, I didn't, we didn't become friends because of wrestling. They were friends because they were all TCOM students, telecommunications students at Ball State. So we became friends. And then we find out over the course of time, oh, you like wrestling? Oh, yeah, you like wrestling too? Cool. And we talked about it. And they happened to know of Ring of Honor. Like, I was first starting to get into Ring of Honor in late 2003. So I had known of it about a year and had followed it and had gotten DVDs. But they had known about Ring of Honor, too. So we're like, okay, Ring of Honor is coming to Dayton, Ohio. That's close enough. And we decided just to go, you know, three hours before the show. We got there a little bit late. You know, we decided to eat food. And we, you know, we're like, as long as we catch most of the show, we're good. So we eat food. We arrive in the middle of the second match. We watch that show. We drive right back to Muncie, Indiana. And that was the first time I ever did it. And it was such a fun experience going to this live wrestling show that wasn't WWE or WCW. I'm like, yeah, I want to I want to do this again. It was a fun experience. You know, we over the course of time, you keep meeting other people that go to these shows, too. Um, I think I traveled the most uh, probably to Ring of Honor shows. I've been to some WrestleManias, but the most traveling I ever done in a short stretch of time was when I was refereeing for IWA Mid-South. You know, I was I was going from the Indianapolis area to Chicago all the time to, you know, I the longest trip I ever did for IWA Mid-South was the second ECW arena show they ever did. You know, I'm traveling with PJ Drummond, who was a ref there, and Joey Eastman. And we're, you know, the fun thing about going to Philadelphia is, one, I was scared to death. You know, <laughs> like, I'm going to go inside the ECW arena my first oh, yeah. time ever, and not as a fan, but I'm refereeing the show. So I'm scared to death of going to Philadelphia ECW arena because I'm still a market this time. Like, I, I hear all the stories about people going there, and it's like, oh, homeless ECW, great. Yeah, that's hardcore. That's crazy. Like, I'm scared to death going there. But PJ Drummond and Joey Eastman were so great. Like I'm talking to them about their experiences traveling and, and PJ Drummond at the time was a newer ref. Like he hadn't really gone to a ton of places yet, yet either. He had been to Shikara a couple of times and he still goes now. Um, but Joey Eastman was moving to Boston. He was moving to Boston the same weekend as IWA was running their second ECW arena show. So he decided to make this his moving trip. So PJ Drummond Joey Eastman and I connect in Angola, Indiana, where I-69 meets with I-80, and we're going to take I-80 the rest of the way, pretty much. We get in Angola, Indiana, and Joey Eastman has his moving, you know, it's a car, but he's got all his stuff in it. And then, you know, PJ Drummond and myself are going to drive in our own car because he's not coming back with us. He's going from Philadelphia to Boston, where he's living now, going from Chicago all the way to Boston. So we have this trip, you know, we're trying to make it all in one fell swoop. I mean... They had about a, a 14 hour drive and PJ Drummond does most of the driving. I think I drove for about a half an hour of the entire trip. Like I was a serious slacker. And when you're on these trips, wouldn't you Jeff expect to like kind of carry the load half and half? Like one of you drives a little bit, then the other takes, takes a nap or sleeps a little bit. It depends how particular I am about my car. Right. Yeah. And this is, <laughs> you can PJ, get gas. I'm going to drive though. You right. stay the heck out of here. <laughs> and PJ Drummond has this Prius. So he's driving this Prius. Oh, so geez. it's a nice new car. And, you know, he wants to drive it. That's great. I tell him, you know, I'll, I'll drive. 
So it was about an hour out of Philadelphia where he finally starts getting tired. And that's when I took over for a little bit. And then, you know, I had stayed up the whole way because if you're in a road, uh, if you're on the road in a car with wrestlers, nobody's sleeping. It's probably a little bit different now, but back then, even in the, you know, all the way to the late two thousands, you know, you're not sleeping. If you're in that car with a group, nobody gets to sleep. Everyone has to stay awake the whole way. You got to keep the driver awake and all that. So I'm doing my best to make sure PJ Drummond is staying awake. And then, you know, I finally take the wheel and I had spent so much time just staring at the road for 10 hours and not doing anything where I finally take the road. I am so tired. I can make it about 25 minutes before I'm start getting dreary eyed and, and droopy. And, and PJ Drummond notices this and he says, you know what? I'll take over the rest of the way. And I felt so horrible because for this entire 10 to 11 hour trip to Philadelphia, I drove for about a half an hour. I felt so useless. Nowadays, though, I can make it much farther because I've done, as you know, I've done these NXT yeah. drives from Fort Wayne, Indiana to Orlando, Florida, 16 hours. I don't stop once. I don't fall asleep. I do the entire drive in one fell swoop. So I'm much better now than I used to be. Uh, and oh, in a, okay. In a six month span, I was exposed to hillbilly fans and then mutant fans in Philadelphia. And I never wanted to go to another live show again. Right. You're done. And, and then 20 years later, I'm driving up to San Jose to watch NXT, not even for WrestleMania, just NXT. Jerome, are you, uh, this year, King of Trios is starting to announce some of their tag teams. I don't believe they've announced all of them. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the lineup that they've announced, I mean, you have AJ Styles and the Young Bucks as a team, and you have, you know, some of the guys from AAA as a team. Like, is this a lineup to where if you were able to travel to the show, or maybe you're going, I don't know. If you were able to travel to the show, would this be like one of those King of Trios? Like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? I think so. I think to see AJ Styles and the Young Bucks and the Lucha Underground and the BWL, if I was able to go, I would certainly consider it. But unfortunately, I cannot. But I, you know, I think that the the whole experience of traveling to a wrestling show is something very special. I think it's particularly good if for indie for indie wrestling if you do tournaments, especially those three night ones, because that way you're you're sort of getting a lot of bang for your buck, so to speak. So that's why I, you know, you hear me say I've been to Jaylitz. That's a, you know, two night tournament. King of Trios is three nights. Bull is three nights. So it's really just valuable to have all of that and to be able to do that. But it's uh, it's funny how all three of us have been to the ECW arena for three very, very different promotions. <laughs> very different promotions and probably some different reasons, too. I mean, did, did either of you go to Tony Luke's? Because you have to go to Tony Luke's. If you're Tony <laughs> Luke's is amazing. Love it. John Diner's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're uh, Tony Luke's was one of those options when we finally got to Philadelphia. We ended up getting to Philadelphia um, for the ECW Arena show about 10 p.m. Philly time the night before. Uh, we were right. staying with a friend of Joey Eastman. So we we stayed there for the night and then we had the next day and we ended up going to I don't even know what the museum was called, but we went to some type of like oddity museum that PJ Drummond and Joey really wanted to go to uh, that had like. Um, just the weirdest things like shrunken heads and mummies and different things. I don't even know what it was called, but it was just a weird experience. So I go along with them. We got to the arena pretty early. I think the show started at seven or eight and we got to the arena maybe at 2 PM and we were just hanging out for the longest time and, you know, trying to figure out who was all there and going into all that stuff. So I, I didn't get to have any of the cheesesteaks. I didn't get to Tony Luke's. So I've never gone to Tony Luke's yet, but I don't think I'll, I'll be away from Philadelphia forever. So that'll have to be a stop in the future for sure. 
If you um, go, it's the best drinking city in the world, I think, other than yeah. maybe New Orleans. Best drinking Love city too. in the world, Jeff Hawkins says. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know we're pressed for time, but the one thing I want to say is people who think the arena is in a crappy neighborhood, that is a misnomer. Yeah. It is in fact. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's not too it's bad. Actually, it's getting better. Jeff, maybe when you went, it was a little oh, shady. Although, although people who say it's an arena are stretching it as well. So, Right, that is fair. But it's it's really, it's not that bad. It's not I, bad at all. It's, it's, it's South Side Philly, and it's not the bad industrial South Side Philly. So you're fine. Yeah, so if you have a chance to go, you should, you should still take the opportunity. It's, it, that is wrestling royalty right there. All right, I want to thank uh, Jerome Hewson at PW Ponderings for joining us for for the discussion on the Beast of the East review, for joining us for a little bit of the conversation about our wrestling road trip memories and so forth. Uh, Jerome has had to leave us now as he continues on with his live ongoing podcast that they are doing for 12 hours to support uh, their uh, donation to Rain, the anti-sexual assault uh, charity that they have donated to. So some cool things going on at pwponderings.com. We are back continuing STR number 93, our wrestling road trip stories. We had talked a little bit with uh, Jerome Cuson of PW Ponderings about uh, his travel to Shikara and so forth. I know he's based in the Chicago area. So the, oh, first, is he? the first time I actually met Jerome was at an eight, eight, uh, excuse me, an AAW show uh, last year, late last year. Um, that he he actually does commentary for them sometimes on their Vanguard shows, kind of like their developmental shows where they they bring in a lot of the lesser known indie talents um, mm-hmm. that, you know, not their main stars. But, uh, yeah, he does some commentary for them. He's based like Rich Krejci in the Chicago area. So that's the first time I ever met him because I would go to Chicago a ton of times. You know, I, I would like go- Chicago. Yeah, I would go to the Ring of Honor show, <laughs> shows in Chicago all the time. I mean, I asked Jerome, you know, earlier about what motivates him to go to wrestling shows? Like, uh, you know, part of it for him is social. Part of it was seeing wrestlers that he would never get the chance to see again. Uh, and that kind of hit me when I went to one of the Ring of Honor shows. I went to um, a show that ended up being called Return Engagement. It happened in okay. 2008. The show featured two at the time dream matches. The Briscoes against the Murder City Machine Guns Nice was on that show. And then also Kota Ibushi versus El Generico. That's impressive. Those two matches were what got me to go to that show. Cause this was coming in 2008 was a time where I was starting to get out of ring of honor. Cause Brian mm-hmm. Danielson had left. Samoa Joe was gone. Uh, like I was starting to get out of it a little bit and ring of honor to keep people invested. And especially because Chicago was one of their higher drawing towns still, mm-hmm. they had to do special events like this. They had to give you the dream match of the Briscoes versus Shelly and Saban. They had to bring in someone like Kota Ibushi and give you the match that everyone wanted to see, not only to sell DVDs, but to try and get a thousand people in the Chicago building. Um, right. So I went for that show, a, ma- a main event, by the way, on that show, Kevin Owens versus Nigel McGuinness for the world <laughs> championship. That was the main Kevin event. S- Kevin Steen. Kevin Steen at <laughs> the time. But I mentioned that because Ring of Honor, again, was the first show I'd really traveled for. And I would travel a ton to Ring of Honor shows. Um, I went to... One of the craziest trips I ever did, talking about driving for long distances without sleeping. Well, the NXT trip seemed insane to me, but I guess these are longer. The NXT, uh, the next trip I'm about to say is the longest one I've ever been on. Okay. The NXT, the NXT trips are insane because it's 16 hours straight of driving. Now I would stop at a gas station here to get gas and I would, you know, do what I need to do there. For the most part, there's no stopping. There's no stopping for an hour to eat. There's no stopping for mm-hmm. an hour just to take a look at the city. There's no stopping to sleep. Right. It's 
16 hours from, you know, I leave at the night before here in Fort Wayne and get there right before showtime. That's what I would do for NXT. But the next trip, this is the trip right here that really got me. A buddy of mine and I were invited by someone that we had met at Ring of Honor shows for years and years to go to Washington, D.C. before Death Before Dishonor 6. Hmm. It was 2006, or excuse me, 2008, August. Ring of Honor was doing Death Before Dishonor. They had some Noah guys on the show. They had an NWA title match with Brent Albright versus Adam Pierce. So, like, the show itself was one of those where, yeah, we'd like to see it. You know, Kenta is on the show. Naomi Chimera Fuji is on the show. We want to go see some of these guys. Uh, but what really sold us on the show was the fact that we could go to Washington, D.C. first, hang out there, and then make the drive up to New York. Mm-hmm. So, we leave. And we get to D.C. in about 10 hours. And then we, that was the last time we got to sleep. We slept that night, okay? Sleeping that night, the next day we're in Washington, D.C. for about seven to eight hours, you know? Uh, we, we make the drive up to New York City for the Death Before Dishonor show. First time I had ever driven in New York City. So I was a little worried going in, but it was actually one of the easiest drives I've ever done. Once you go through the tunnel, you know, it's a little bit until Madison Square Garden and... Uh, where was the show at? The New Yorker? It might have been. Hammer. Was no, it, it was at. It was at Hammerstein Ballroom. Yes. Hammerstein. Yeah. It was at the Hammerstein Ballroom. Uh, so we get there. It was actually a pretty easy drive. We had hung out. We had gone to some bars and done some karaoke of all things the night before in Washington D.C. So it was a big night. It was ten hours of driving and then staying up for a little bit. We got about seven hours of sleep, which is pretty good. So we make the drive to New York City. We do Death Before Dishonor six. Crazy show. Loved it. We were sitting for front row. Fun time. Mm -hmm. From New York City back to Fort Wayne, Indiana, right after the show with no stops. (laughs) So from the morning of this Saturday night to about noon on Sunday with a wrestling show in between and plenty of driving in between. No sleep. No stops. No nothing. We're tired. I did not get home and sleep right away. I stayed up that day like it was any other day. Adrenaline? Adrenaline was getting me. Okay. Adrenaline was getting me. Or caffeine, one of the two. <laughs> but like sometimes, and, and the motivation for that was, yeah, the Noah guys. And I had never been to the Hammerstein Ballroom. That was the first time I had ever gone. Some of these times, you just gotta, you gotta make those drives. You gotta not sleep. You gotta do some of this stuff to go to shows if you really want to go to them when you're not in the area. I often wonder if I were younger in the post big two era, what I would have done because my fandom came at a later age. And then when I'm in my twenties, it was the rise of two fairly well-known indies, but they were unsustainable. Yeah. And the big two were at a very weak point. So traveling just wasn't worth it. And then before that, you know, I always had NWA or WCW come to Norfolk or Hampton. So I didn't need to travel that far. Yeah. I had everything I needed. So everything I, right I wonder, I wonder about that sometimes. I mean, now it's a task for me even to go to Reseda. So, <laughs> and so close. Well, and I fully understand that we were, you know, I was at a time where I could do this and, you know, sometimes we could be a little spoiled. You know, oh, you get to travel to wrestling shows, you know, how lucky are you? And yeah. you know what? Pretty lucky to be able to go to these things. Pretty lucky that, 
you know, these you have NXT- a job that'll give you time off and yeah. you can go. Yeah. It, it helps out that the NXT shows honestly come on a couple of days that are, you know, easy for traveling, you know, Wednesday mm-hmm. and Thursday, at, at least for what I do, you know, I'm right. not going to be able to travel all the time on a Saturday, Sunday. Like I couldn't go to NXT Brooklyn if I wanted to, I can't go. And you know, boo hoo, Rob, you can't go to one NXT show. I just mean <laughs> that I couldn't even go if I wanted to. And if you had the chance to go, like if you're motivated enough to go see one of those shows, go do it. I'm never okay. one to tell you, oh, you shouldn't go to that show. If you want to do it, go do it. Maybe I'll fly out to it. Go fly out to NXT Brooklyn. Why don't you? Uh, but yeah, I mean, IWA Mid-South, I was traveling every weekend. I was traveling two to three hours to referee these shows for, for basically nothing. I mean, for a little money and for just the fun of doing it and hanging out with certain people. I mean, you know, I got... I got to spend two years of the rise of Ricochet and Chuck Taylor. I got to spend two years where Ian Rotten was bringing in, you know, guys like Tracy Smothers all the time. I mean, we're going to talk about Tracy (laughs) Smothers in our match number 72 in the top 100 on this show. Tracy Smothers was was a big part of the, uh, of the SMW show. Yeah. I went to, I mean, he had to fill in for, he had to do double duty the second night during uh, fire on the mountain because Jericho was out due to the wrist. So he teamed up with Lance storm against the heavenly bodies and then did the six man uh, main event, which featured both Dory and Terry Funk, mm-hmm. which was fascinating in its own right. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Tracy Smothers, and I, I love it. I love watching this match because, you know, I got to spend a year straight of working with Tracy Smothers and refereeing a ton mm. of his matches and, you know, getting to know Tracy Smothers a little bit when he's a little bit more crazy. And, yeah. you know, just seeing him live in a setting that wasn't a big setting, like you're going to have 30 to 40 people there and Tracy Smothers is going to interact with every single one of them. And, you know, stuff like that. I mean, some of the IWA Mid-South shows, it's not because they were the best shows in general, but it was a completely different experience of pro wrestling for me. Like, even the Ring of Honor shows were was a pretty big indie. Like, the least amount of fans you're going to see at a show like that is 300 to 400. Right. And then going to an IWA Mid-South and being a part of it and being there for the entire day and 30 to 40 fans come into some of the smaller shows. And, you know, you have 200, which is a big house for IWA Mid-South and some of the bigger shows during a time where it was a transition for them going from having a TPI full of the top indie talent in the entire country to where they're building some other more local stars who would eventually become big. I mean, Michael Elgin, I I worked Michael Elgin's first ever match in IWM and South. And Mm. now here he is, you know, going to Japan for the G1. Like some of these times you look back at some of the shows that you go to, whether you're a fan, whether you're involved in pro wrestling for a little bit, whether you're someone like yourself who was on the East coast and now on the West coast and you get to see different styles there. Uh, right. traveling to all these different wrestling shows. If you're a wrestling fan, it's kind of a must just to get the different experiences. If you really want to know what it's like and have a different perspective. Speaking of which, do we have some mail? We do have some mail. I, I asked for different submissions for uh wrestling road trips and we got uh, quite a few stories. Um, Let's hear some Jody plant emailed in Rob at voices of You can email us anytime uh, with questions, comments, concerns, praise. If you must, you can email him. Yep. Anytime. Not uh, me. Jeff on Twitter <laughs> at crap game 13. <laughs> if you want to, uh, you know, have your mind, mm-hmm. but Jody shared a couple of stories with us traveling to different WrestleManias and so forth. And, you know, one of the stories, uh, shared, uh, besides being in attendance for the greatest mania of all time, the only major highlights of the mania 17 trip oh. were being robbed of our booze, walking back to the hotel room. And almost missing the bus home after an evening out at a strip club owned by a member of Pantera. <laughs> Sounds like they got the triad right there. Mania oh, 17, yeah. strip clubs, robbery. Mm-hmm. Not the only person I bet that's been robbed of things going no. to a WrestleMania. You know, a friend of mine 
<laughs> a friend of mine was robbed by Teddy Hart once at a WrestleMania. Did he throw a cat at him? WrestleMania weekend in, I believe it was Orlando, might have been Miami. One of these trips where Teddy Hart was like a surprise at the Dragon Gate USA show. That has to be Miami then, because those are the only ones in Florida that I can remember. Miami, it could have been Miami, wherever it was, somewhere. Um, I don't think it was Houston. Wherever Teddy Hart was a special guest. My friend uh, is staying at a hotel with another friend of his, another friend of ours. And this friend is friends with Teddy Hart. So a lot of friends stories here, but. Right. Teddy Hart was a surprise on the show. He was a last minute booking. He did not have a hotel of his own. I bet he was a surprise. So he was asking, you know, the marks, if you will, the people he know he could comp a room from uh, for a room. And this one friend gives him a room. Well, Teddy Hart trashes the hotel room and steals, not on purpose, but because they had similar luggage, takes one of my friend's suitcases from the hotel room, which happened to have all of his clothes for the weekend. And the rest of the weekend for this guy was not spent traveling to Dragon Gate USA shows, not spent traveling to Ring of Honor shows, but trying to track down Teddy Hart, who's an insane man, to get a suitcase back. That would not be a fun weekend at WrestleMania. Why would you ever do that? Do, do what? <laughs> hey, man, I need a room. Sure. Well, the friend whose luggage was stolen was not agreeable to the situation. He was the bystander. Oh, oh he got coerced into it by the yes. other friends? Oh, oh it'll be the... no problem. He'll, he's only going to be here for a couple of hours. He's oh, going to stay you... in the room. Oh, I hope he never spoke to them again. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Ring Lord on the old ROH forums for no one who will actually know that. Right. Um, but yeah, sometimes you have these crazy trips, especially at WrestleMania when you have a whole bunch of indie shows going on. And, you know, the the independent wrestler community with some of the members of the old ROH forums can get pretty close because they mm -hmm. were part of the ROH forums themselves. And, you know, sometimes you get these message boards where everyone is kind of involved. And that's how it used to be in the Ring of Honor days. Yeah. That's how it used to be. It's not, it's not quite like that uh, as much anymore. Um, mania Jody continues on saying mania 18 was a whole different story. When we arrived at our hotel in Toronto, we noticed a ton of people milling around and couldn't figure out why. Then I saw Jerry Lawler signing autographs and William Regal taking photos with fans. The light bulb finally went off that we realized that we were staying at the same hotel as the company. My week consisted of chatting with Charles Robinson, Lita taking an elevator ride with Taz and Ric Flair, passing a yet to debut Brock Lesnar in the hallway seeing a fucked up crash Holly carried to the back by his room or to his room by Tommy dreamer, shaking hands <laughs> with Hulk Hogan and so much more. Uh, thank you for taking our submissions for the podcast. Sometimes you'll do that. You'll, you'll end up staying at a place where, you know, wrestlers are, you might end up flying in a plane with wrestlers. And I wonder if most fans don't really, uh, you know, know how to handle themselves in situations. like Oh, they that. don't. It's like any other kind of celebrity type thing, although it's even more niche. It's, <laughs> You don't really, I mean, so there, there's the, there's the people who go, you know, I just wanted to say, but I'm not sure how to approach it. And most celebrities are open to it. And there's wrestling where, you know, Hey, what's up? You know, either you act like you know them or, or you can go up trepidatiously and say hi. And they may act like jerks to you because, you know, keeping the character or whatever. So you, you don't know. And even if you just, Try and be polite. That's right. all you got to do. Just got to try and be polite. Brian yeah. Alleman, uh, through the email too, uh, talks about how he had just booked his first ever G1 trip. He is wow. flying to Japan this year for some of the G1 shows. He's going to see three nights of it. Going to go talk see Toru Yano win. That's right. Awesome. We, we talk about, 
we talk about <laughs> motivations to going on some That's of these trips. Brian's motivation is one. He always wanted to go to Japan for wrestling, but yeah. he says that he's getting married in September. So this is probably the last chance he has with no yeah. kids, with the wife, all that stuff. So the wife's like, a little more important than the r- kids. I right. Think. <laughs> so like if you have the chance to go, you have to go before you're nailed down. You're tied down by anything. Yeah, I kind of, you know, in the mid-90s when New Japan was really hot, I really wanted to go out and see a show one day because I had never been to there and then go to Ribera Steakhouse Yeah, just to go. Sounds fun. Every time Meltzer talks about it, you know, you kind of get, oh, i like to go someday. Yeah, I, I always thought, you know, my motivations were always the matches, the seeing the people, and, mm-hmm. you know, because I had nothing that would keep me away from it, really. Like, WrestleMania, I went to 22 and 23 because they were in Chicago and Detroit, so they were pretty close by. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first WrestleMania traveling a long distance for was 27 in Phoenix, and I was going to that because of Shawn Michaels' last match. Okay, I probably should have gone to that one. But yeah, I mean, Shawn Michaels <laughs> versus Undertaker in the main event, it was going to be his last match. He knew what it was. CM Punk was wrestling Rey Mysterio, and there's some stuff on that show that you wanted to go to, but not the reason I was going to that event, but one of the you know, things that happened along with that event, the first ever Dragon Gate USA Mercury Rising show right. was that weekend at, I don't know what they called it, but it was some type of building that was shaped like a pyramid. And it was very sparsely attended. It was a Saturday night. It was the same night as the WWE Hall of Fame that year. You know, the day before WrestleMania, Ring of Honor had run in the afternoon. Dragon Gate was running at night or later in the day. Very sparsely attended. But they had the traditional, you know, the the Dragon Gate six man on these shows. And it was an interesting experience because it was the start, really. I think it was the third or fourth show of Dragon Gate USA in their history once Gabe Sapolsky left Ring of Honor and decided to start his own company and run alongside WrestleMania. So that was really the start of when you had these crazy WrestleMania trips where fans would go and there would be an independent show on a Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Then you had the hall of fame, you had WWE access, you had WrestleMania so much going on that we are now accustomed to on these WrestleMania weekends where you just know everything's going to be nuts. But back in 2010 at WrestleMania 27, it was really the first year where something like that was going on. And now it's just the norm. Like, yeah. if you were to go to a WrestleMania, Jeff, like, say you're now, going to WrestleMania in Dallas. Are you and with, I am. I hope. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I might be there, too. Are you going to fill in a wrestling show on every day that you're there? Maybe. Um, probably not, because I'll just be oversaturated, and I'm a little older than most people. But, you know, I'm going to try and get, if there's good shows. I mean, I'd love to go to Ring of Honor, but I want to see the Briscoes live. I've never, no, I have. I did in PWG, but, you know. Now they're the Briscoes, so there's something. I'd love to see Ring of Honor. I'd love to see... (laughs) There's a TNA Global Force show. Yep. (laughs) Maybe go see that. July 24th. Hey, if you travel to that show, yeah. You know, we'll we'll see. It it, it depends on the card, I think, for me. Because indie wrestling, you know, the, the generational change has happened, and so now it's not as exciting for me as it once was. That's true. Yeah, there are shifts. Uh, I mean, I don't travel as much, certainly not for Ring of Honor. I mean, it's been right. a little bit uh, since I've been to a Ring of Honor show at a longer distance than an hour and a half away. Um, you know, they ran Kalamazoo last year, and I wrote something up for Voices of Wrestling for that because I was there at that show. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about maybe attending like an AIW show in Cleveland just because I have a buddy there now in Cleveland. and I've never been to AIW, like some of these other independent groups that are running as they get mm-hmm. bigger names and have you know, stronger fan bases going on. Um, you know, I contemplated that GFW show, the global force show in uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky contemplated <laughs> it. The young bucks were on that show. 
didn't end up going. Um, but yeah, traveling for wrestling is pretty fun. Uh, we have uh, the final story I'll get to comes from uh, Charles at the Frey Movement on Twitter. Ah, yes. One of my favorite people. Twitter. I like him. I don't fly, he begins with. So I drove cross country to WrestleMania 26. It was an uneventful drive there, but on the way back is when things got fun. So he was actually at the same WrestleMania as I was. This is Phoenix. Yeah. He was at WrestleMania 26 in Phoenix. Uh, so I'm in New Mexico, just minding my own business. Blue lights behind me, so I pull over. State trooper walks up to the window, wants my info. I oblige, starts asking questions about what I'm doing in New Mexico. He tried to explain. <laughs> he says, I tried to explain that I had been to WrestleMania and was driving back home. My stepbrother is with me and had an expired license. So the state trooper becomes impossible to deal with and makes me get out of the car. He starts interrogating me, takes me around to the back of the car and tells me to pop the trunk. I ask why? Because I need to see where you're hiding the drugs. That's the moment where I think I would uh, I'd be like, what's happening here? But he continues. As far as he was concerned, I was completely too far-fetched for someone to having drive across the country to watch wrestling. So I pop the trunk, he starts pilfering around, and he straight up asks me, where are the drugs? Of course there are no drugs in the trunk. Finally, after going through bags of shirts, which are clearly WWE plastic bags, he accepts that I actually went to WrestleMania and that there were no (laughs) drugs. With one last parting shot, he says, drive a little slower the next time you're in our state. So this guy was getting patted down, shook down. Yeah. I actually asked him because he sent this via DM on Twitter. So I actually asked him, like, at any point did the trooper ask you if you had any money in the car? Now, he says no, because, of course, Arizona is one of the states where they have the right to seizure laws. Yeah. Where they can seize anything and any money in your possession if they think it's being done for criminal purposes. Mm-hmm. Now, he's, he did say that he was in New Mexico and for sure not in Arizona, although he's not 100% sure. Um, so that he's not a hundred percent sure where he was stopped. I should say. All right. Yeah. Could have been Arizona. Could have been New Mexico, but yeah, I asked them that because you know, they have those weird laws, but you know, some of these trips, things go well until you on, you're on your way back home and you think, okay, we, we got all the fun stuff out of the way. Now it's just an easy, you know, trip back home. And then that's where chaos starts. <laughs> it could be, it could be where chaos starts. And I think the chaos, you go into a road trip back with the mindset where everything fun is done now it's the misery of going back home. Like, right. what am I doing? And that's when you just, you have that negative mindset and things start happening. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Pretty much what happens. Um, yeah, I've been to three NXT shows, I think. I've driven there for two tapings and then the taping and a takeover. Right. I believe is uh, how many I've been to. I don't plan on going to New York for SummerSlam for any of the NXT stuff. I know there are a lot of people disappointed that they're not taping TakeOver in Full Sail University, or for university this time. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, sometimes the people down there are a little spoiled. They're used to having their TakeOvers. They're used to having their NXT TVs all there. And now it's finally getting taken away. And I think the writing is on the wall that at some point, these specials may be outside of Florida in the future. Not all of them, maybe. But a good amount of them may be done in conjunction with other other WWE shows, or maybe they just run a, you know, a takeover on a Tuesday night accompanying SmackDown or something like that. I could see that happening in the future where you see takeover accompanying WWE shows at a larger arena. I think that's best for them because they don't get comfortable in front of that crowd, which is very comfortable in becoming part of the show. Right. So it's a plus for me. 
Match number 72 on our top 100 countdown. The top 100 matches on WWE Network to see before you die as directed by WWE.com. This is WWE.com's list. We are going through the list and seeing if they made a quite quality list of the 100 matches. And so far, I think we can agree they really have. Like, oh, yeah. Every match, really, we've seen. I think there's only been one or two, maybe, that you can kind of pass on and we could find maybe better solutions. But as far as matches that are on this list, I think we've enjoyed all of them. And the next one we are going to talk about here, match number 72, is no exception. This whole card is fascinating to me. <laughs> it is. Great, the Great American Great Bash. Great American Bash, 1990. 1990. The NWA U.S. Tag Team titles are on the line. The Midnight Express with Jim Cornette. Stan Lane, Bobby Eaton defending the titles against the Wild-Eyed Southern Boys. Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers, Jeff Hawkins. You bet. Nice little uh, white meat baby tag team to fill in for the uh, Rock and Roll Express as the Rock and Roll Express are in the world title match here against Doom on this card. Mm-hmm. Um, also on this card of note, uh, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. Buddy Landell is in the opener against Brian Pillman. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the North American debut of Vader. Harley Race wrestles on this card. And a very young Mark Callis before The Undertaker gimmick in wwf being managed by one paul e dangerously so there's a lot to uh it, it may not be the most uh magnificent card top to bottom in the world but there's a lot uh a lot of interesting things on it wild Odd southern boys against the midnight express match number 72 on our list this took place in baltimore maryland it was the last ever NWA Great American Bash. Yes, it was. WCW because... plastered all over it. Jim Ross, mm-hmm. Bob Cottle on the call. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing of note, this is totally by accident. Okay. But we have had some phenomenal timing with some of the matches that we review. Right. Phenomenal timing. We talked about the Money in the Bank match. The first ever Money in the Bank was on our list. That came the week before the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, so it was timely. Mm-hmm. This match right here, took place on July 7th, 1990, making today the 25th anniversary of this match. Hmm. Timing, timing, timing. Yeah, we've had some good luck. uh, And also, match number 71, the match we're going to do next time, will also include some great timing on our part. Uh, (laughs) And we'll talk about that in a little bit. This match, before we get really into the heavy stuff on it, Four and three-quarter stars as rated by Dave Meltzer at the time, so he highly recommends this match. I don't have a lot of experience with older wrestling, pre-1990. Okay. I fully admit that. I mean, I was this, five. This is why I'm here. Let's I talk. I was five years old in 1990. Now, I didn't go back. at When I first got into wrestling in 1996, 1997, I watched WCW and WWE at the time, and we didn't mm-hmm. have this internet. We didn't have, you know... We had internet, but we didn't have it to the point where I can go and watch any match in the past, you know? So I wasn't spending a lot of time there. And then, you know, we get into the 2000s. YouTube is coming up. You have the ability to go watch older matches. But at the same time, you have TNA. You have WWE. You have all the independent wrestling companies that I had gotten into, especially Ring of Honor. While going through school and while doing work and all this stuff, Mm -hmm. I haven't really had time to where I can go back and study the eighties, especially because it's not like my job, you know, I mean, my job isn't to go study and know the history of the eighties. I learned the history and I know the history of everything that I've followed from when I started watching wrestling. Now I know those are, there are those that are upset with people when they don't go back and learn the history. Like I know the history of certain guys, 
And I could tell you, you know, what happened in different time ranges, but this match, the history behind the Midnight Express and the Southern Boys going in this match, you know, the NWA era of the late 80s, I'm not that familiar with. Jeff Hawkins, okay. thankfully, is because he loved the NWA and WCW. Yes. Loved it. That was his thing. Mm -hmm. So he's going to tell right. you exactly why this match was awesome. I will say, first off, though, again, like we mentioned, Tracy Smothers. I was super excited to watch this match to see some Tracy Smothers. So excited. Okay. And it huh. did not disappoint. I've never heard anybody go, I'm excited to see a match for Tracy Smothers, which is interesting because I think Tracy Smothers is one of the most underrated people in wrestling and history. You, and people say that. And you know what? I can agree because yeah. after watching some of the stuff in ECW and then watching matches like this of him in the late eighties and early nineties, like Tracy Smothers was great, especially in this match. But when you, I mean, we talk about him working in front of crowds of 30 and 40 people and him interacting with everyone by the end right. of the night, if he's the bad guy, he will get everyone in that building to hate him mm -hmm. and cheer for the guy he's going against. No matter who that was. I was doing a Tracy Smothers, Chuck Taylor match where Chuck Taylor was like miniature Tracy Smothers in IWA right. Mid-South. And he was this bad guy and he wanted everyone to hate him. Chuck Taylor was the most over baby face in that building when the night, when the night was done <laughs> because Tracy Smothers got everyone to hate him so much. Oh, he is so good. And he's so smart too, because he knows you go to these IWA Mid-South shows, you go to some independent shows where they want quick, quick, quick. They want fast action. They want, they don't want headlocks for five minutes. Tracy Smothers is doing headlocks for five minutes, not because he's slow and not because he can't do anything else, but because he's working. Tracy Smothers yeah. is so phenomenal, but Jeff explain to everyone why this match was so great and why, you know, even if you weren't familiar with the Southern boys who later became the young pistols, we had, yes. we had a conversation about this. We didn't know if the young pistols were first and then it was the Southern boys, Southern boys. And then they Southern became, boys were first. Yes. Then they became heels and they were the young pistols because this was their, I don't want to say it was their debut, but it was like their second or their, Oh, it was their first pay-per-view match with WCW, I believe. And the magic of the midnight express is <laughs> oddly enough, almost every midnight express feud in terms of the legendary ones are almost the same. It's the young athletic tag team and these veteran, very, this very veteran athletic team having great matches that look like fights. Mm. It, it was with the rock and roll express. It was with the Southern boys. It was with the fantastics later on it, when they morphed into the, um, into the heavenly bodies. It was with the thrill seekers. It was with the, uh, the, the second incarnation of the fantastics was just the Fulton brothers. Um, the, and, 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 you know, the midnight express were always kind of slide as that top, mid-card tag team that you knew could be the world champs. And they got that run very briefly before this uh, U.S. tag title run when they were fighting the Horsemen before Tully and Arn left for Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. But the magic of this match, number one, this Baltimore crowd is fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic because they're, they're, they're pro-Midnight Express, but not to the point where they overshadow the respect of the Southern boys who eventually win them over throughout this match. And the first half of this match is basically how many times can we kick Bobby Eaton in the face? Uh -huh. That's that's the match right there. And there wasn't a lot of hooting and hollering when they hit him in the face, you know, pumping up the crowd and stuff. They would just stand there ready to fight, and the crowd would eat it up. And Eaton would take his time going, oh, I'm, I'm so injured right now, you know. And Cornette's going apoplectic. And, and it's great. And then... 
Then when Eaton finally gets the tag, it becomes, this is my favorite part of the match. I don't know about you. The, the redneck kung fu fight yeah. between Smothers and Stan Lane, where they're doing karate in the middle of a wrestling match. And Cornette's yelling, karate's illegal in wrestling. <laughs> Just hilarious. And then when you think of the NWA style, it, it's very easy to watch in terms of a tag team match. It's two heels going over a baby face until he gets the hot tag. And then it's the one hot baby face beating up both the other guys until, until the guy who was getting beat up comes back in to even up the odds. And then somewhere in there is a finish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Steve Armstrong is my favorite Armstrong. I think just in terms of look, because he's the only Armstrong that doesn't either have a Jerry curl perm or a Jerry curl perm mullet. Okay. <laughs> like okay. Scott, look at Scott Armstrong's old hairstyle when he was wrestling. That, that thing is the most hideous thing on God's earth. <laughs> Scott Armstrong or Steve Armstrong. Well, not the most dynamic fella in the world. Um, <laughs> possibly my favorite of being understated out of all the Armstrongs. And these guys are just flying all over the place in terms of, you know, the, the cross body drops off the top. They're flying around. Um, and, and again, it, it's another one, like kind of like the fantastic midnights that we reviewed a couple weeks ago. It's a fight dressed up as a wrestling match. And you could watch it a million times. It would never be boring every time. I was excited. Uh, you know, Dylan Waco on Twitter at Dylan Waco called this a great match. The karate standoff spot with Lane and Smothers is cited as a highlight. But yeah. The stretch run was brilliant. And that's yes. really where I got into this one too, was the stretch run. I mean, the right ending. when they're trying to, when they're trying to pin both guys yes. at the same time and I, getting kicked out. Yeah. They're all getting in the ring. The ref keeps kicking, you know, a guy out from each team and eventually it uh -huh. catches up to him. You know, yeah. the crowd is going wild. You know, they're, they're chanting negatives at Jim Cornette. They're chanting positives for the Southern boys. I mean, they're really into this and the stretch run. I was watching this match while doing yeah. other preparations for this podcast. I was writing Ooh. things down about halfway through it, whether it was Jim Ross talking me into it, whether it was the in-ring action, whether it was the noticing of the crowd getting super hot. Yeah. Everything else went away. I was paying attention a hundred percent to this match. The, the odd thing about this is this crowd starts out very, very pro midnight express. Mm -hmm. They're a heel crowd. Yep. I can't remember. I can't remember if it's Greensboro or Baltimore where the Midnight Express turned on the dynamic dudes. I, I thought it was Baltimore, but I might be wrong on that. So don't quote me on that. But Baltimore's Baltimore's kind of a Midnight Express type of city. And then by the end of the match, they're loving both these teams and yeah. they're yelling for everything that's going on. And and they're and the wrestlers are feeding into it. Um, it's just it, it's what I want tag team wrestling to be, Rob. Not just two solo guys getting their spots in. I want it to seem like a fight and I want it to seem like both guys are working in tandem here. And, and this match just delivers all the way around. Yeah. I can't remember. I can't remember on the commentary cause I've watched two different versions. I watched the daily motion version, which I believe was the video rip. And then I watched the network version. I think on the network version, they, they, they muted a bit of Coddle's commentary. I can't, speak to that they, they may have because there were there were parts that i actually noted that were a little quiet for a match of yeah of that type coddle does i mean if you watch the non-network version coddle and ross are really you know bob Cod this isn't bob coddle's finest hour by any means but he's feeding ross and ross is getting more and more excited 
as as the as the pace of the match quickens. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very it's a bit awkward on the network when there's those dead air spots that aren't really there, you know. Yeah, it was certainly an interesting match, and I was going in thinking, okay, I'm excited for Tracy Smothers, but like, how great is this tag team match really going to be? And I was blown away. I mean, I'll be honest, I was kind of blown away by by the work, especially in the ending sequences, because I tend to sometimes watch uh, older pro wrestling on the network, but not really for this show, for just when I want to watch. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.